TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh shit! It's Vince Russo! Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold your horses, there, uh, Mr. Nerd, is it? That's it. Oh yeah, you could be king, king, king of these nuts. <laughs> Welcome everybody to You've Got To Be Kidding Me, covering April 2003. We go through TNA history one month at a time. Joining me as always is my wonderful co-host Liam Jones. I'm Garrett. Hi Liam. Hi. When you were saying like the intro to this just then, I thought you were going to be like covering April 2003 and that's it. And like we're just going to cover the entire month. Oh, and then we just end the podcast? No, like we just cover the month. <laughs> like everything that happened, not just TNA specific. We're going to talk about what what else happened in April 2003. Let's find out. Hopefully nothing horrific. Both Google it at the same time. The US forces pulled down a bronze statue of Saddam Hussein in Baghdad's Fyodos Fyodos Square, symbolising the end of the Iraqi president's long, often brutal reign and a major early victory for the United States. I remember that moment. Yeah, that was on the television. I remember seeing that on TV that day. Like, I remember seeing it on the news that day, them pulling down that statue. Yeah, that that was a big thing. Of course, the Iraq War, a very important moment in TNA history as well. Jim Duggan has disappeared. I assume he's gone to fight in Iraq. Maybe maybe Saddam got him. He's deployed after giving the rah-rah speech. <laughs> yeah, they called him out on it. They're like, all right then, are you trying to steal valor here? Jim, get out there. Do the job for us. Lead SEAL Team 6. <laughs> Lead the 2003 equivalent of SEAL Team 6. What happened in wrestling in April of 2003? It was just after WrestleMania, so... Backlash 2003. Can you tell... This is a fun little segment we can start introducing. Mm. <laughs> All right, Garrett. Would you like to know the card for Backlash 2003? I know it was Rock and Goldberg. It was. Uh, Who won? Uh, Goldberg. Oh, let's play a fun game. <laughs> okay, so there was eight matches on the card. Okay. Can you guess all the matches? No. If you can get... If you can get four out of eight, I'll give you the win. And the thing is, like, I, I had to read through Torches and Observers to research this podcast. So, like, some of the wrestling news beats for the month of April are in my head. Well, let's see how many are. Because I know Kurt got <laughs> injured. I know Jeff Hardy was released this month. There was some talk about whether or not he had a no-compete. He didn't, but he still didn't show up in TNA for another year. We won't be talking about Jeff Hardy for a while. So there's Rock and Goldberg... Yes. Coming out of WrestleMania, I think it's Triple H's champion, right? Um, Probably. You're looking at the card. He didn't defend the title if he was world champion at the time. What's uh, That's 2003. It's, is it Triple H and Booker, is it? Or not? It was Triple H, Ric Flair, and Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash, and Booker T. Uh, yeah. This, this is actually another uh, really important thing happened in this month in wrestling history. Stone Cold Steve Austin retired. Oh, I hope he's on his way to TNA. And it's it's funny, I was reading in the torch, it was mentioned, that it was just like, it wasn't a big announcement. He didn't go on TV and be like, oh, hell yeah. yeah. Thing, it never really did that, right? Like, it was just kind of, oh, he's done. It was a WWE.com story. Never. It was just a line in a WWE.com story that is like, oh, I'm done. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It's just funny, because, like, you'd think it. Yeah, this, like, biggest star in the history of wrestling doing, a, like, a real proper retirement. It's like, no, he's just, like, it's a line in a WWE.com story. He's just like, I'm not wrestling anymore. Right. Well, before we get too off topic, I'll run down the card of Backlash 2003, because <laughs> I know everyone is, like, absolutely on their toes about whether or not we'll finish this. So, uh, we had Team Angle versus Los Guerreros. Mm-hmm. 
Sean O'Hare defeating Rikishi with Roddy Piper on his side, of course. Kane and Rob Van Dam defeating the Dudley Boys for the tag team titles. Uh, Jazz versus Trish Stratus. Big Show versus Rey Mysterio. Brock Lesnar versus John Cena. Oh, yeah, that's a pretty good match, too. Yeah, and then the aforementioned six-man tag and the Goldberg Rock main event. Mm-hmm. Stars, guys. That's not a very good Stars show. Stars on this show. That's not a show I'd watch. I don't know. There's some things on there. I remember Rock Goldberg both because I remember Goldberg debuted after Asinia and Dave Meltzer mentions in The Observer that the build of Raven and Jarrett is much better than the build of Rock and Goldberg. So, Well, I don't doubt it. Um, did you know that John Cena won a tournament for that a number one contendership? No, I do not remember the booking of SmackDown 2003. Ah, he beat Chris Benoit in the finals. See, that was during the era when like Cena was horrible in green, but... He could work with people like Brock, people like Benoit, people like Eddie, people like Kurt. And he got good because he was working with, like, big stars in main events. Well, let me tell you what this murderer's row of talent that he beat to get this match was. Mm-hmm. Opening round, Eddie Guerrero. Sure. Semi-finals, The Undertaker. Yes. Finals, Chris Benoit. And there you go. Instead, you're now working freaking. Braun Breaker and whoa, all these whoa, 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 whoa! There's plenty of people you can knock down. I will not have you knock down Braun Breaker. Hey, he lost the champ. He's a loser because they booked him to lose. Games were released in April 2003. Tom Clancy Splinter Cell, Def Jam Vendetta, <laughs> Colin McRae Rally. Yeah, the first like reference on the Wikipedia article. Uh-huh. WWE pay per view buys from 1993 to 2015. WrestleNomics. Oh yeah, you got you got a site, Brandon. He's the only person who researches these things. <laughs> just, just a shout out, you know. First, first reference on the Backlash 2003 Wikipedia page. And Brandon should be the first reference on literally everything in wrestling. To be fair, the buy rate for this show: uh, three hundred and forty-five thousand attendance, ten thousand. I was gonna say why the hell, but like Goldberg's a big deal. All right, <laughs> you know, it's... yeah, it's gold. It's Goldberg Rock in the main event, <laughs> and everything else is shite but you know what Goldberg it's Goldberg Is you're saying an 18 minute Triple H Ric Flair Chris Jericho Shawn Michaels Kevin Nash Booker T six man tag doesn't float your boat isn't that where Kev blew his quad or is that somewhere else no they, they would have gone on to do the Hell in a Cell later he didn't blow his quad yet that year not yet not yet indeed which brings us to April 2003 TNA an interesting month a pretty big month in company history just in terms of what happened on screen yeah like, definitely a big on-screen month with, like, you know, not the the most tumultuous backstage month that we've had ever. No, it's a pretty tumultuous backstage month. <laughs> Damn it. I should have read the notes before I made that claim. <laughs> but you know what the thing was? I started the sentence like, I have to commit to it. I have a 50-50 chance of being right here. Yeah, there's full-on power struggle. We're back to that again. Right. You know what it was? I was like, we have two good months. Maybe we hit a trifecta. We are back to toxic Vince Russo trying to pollute the well so that he gets full power. It's well, He did make a cameo on this uh, this month of television. Yes, he accidentally appeared in the background of a James <laughs> Mitchell free tape. <laughs> it was so funny. He's just hovering there watching. And then he just jumps out again. It's, it's very funny. Clearly it was intentional storytelling. It's to tell us bro. he's actually not gone. He's he's slowly I going back. I wish it were an angle, bro. <laughs> uh, I wish me popping out in the back of the segment was an angle, bro. It's not a work. I wish it was a work. 
that's again this is the deep story that we, we he wants us to question what's true and untrue liam that's the the, the core he probably would take credit for that and be like yeah man that was like me planting the seeds for my eventual return yeah that's the core of his storytelling liam he doesn't want to let you know what's true or untrue you live in that weird unknown world where everything is a work or nothing is a work well it feels as if i'm an employee of tna at the time so, Glenn Gilberti, Vince Russo, Raven, and Mike Sanders have their little, like, creative trust. And they're, like, this click within TNA. And then Jeff Jarrett has his own little click within TNA. Because, you know, he runs the company. So... He should have a click, <laughs> to be honest. The way the, the writing of the show was going at the moment is that Vince Russo writes the show, like, top to bottom. And then Jeff and Jerry, mostly Jeff edits it by the end of the month it's it, like jerry's not really in the creative window anymore it's jeff and russo russo is always very upset because jeff has edits his work and he's like you're watering down my shit bro and he hates it and he's like getting in panda energy's people's ear being like they're ruining it they're ruining the company if i just had full creative control everything would be fine bro Wow, what a great pal this guy is. I'm I'm so glad I brought him into my new burgeoning <laughs> company where I was going to, you know, because he's my friend who always treated me well. Mm. <laughs> I'll bring him into my company with my dad that we both made and we're both going to love that we made this decision. And he would never betray me by going to the people that bought the company behind my back and trying to screw me out of my creative control. Like, that's the thing. Like, Jeff, by all accounts, pretty much sided with Russo over his dad. <laughs> And here is Russo thoroughly making him regret that decision. Like, all... we Like, we've been covering this company for less than a year now. For ten months. And for the entirety of it, Russo has just been like a toxic, corrosive backstage influence. That if he does not have complete creative control, if his ideas are not totally unfiltered and getting on the air, he throws fits, he politics, he's toxic, he cannot be worked with. And it's like, why would you hire this man? He's clearly just the root of all of the problems in your company, both creatively and politically. He seems like a a very beneficial guy to have in your backstage environment. But, like, also, what does he really bring to the table, either? Especially once you take away the whole friendship aspect. Apparently the biggest conflict between Russo and Jerry Jarrett is that Jerry wants to book Jeff like a badass who doesn't, like, get beaten up that often. And Russo just wants him to lose. So Jerry, Jeff cool guy, Russo, Jeff loses to the gathering. Well, there you go. Maybe that's the problem here like you think jeff would be like yeah maybe i should side with my dad who wants to book me strong and we talked about it like jerry mentioned in his book how he he wants to rehab jeff based on how much he was treated by like a goof in the late days of wcw and like that's the intent behind the booking and he's also world champion so he should be booked strong until he loses that's traditional pro wrestling booking where your champion looks like a badass until somebody beats him and then that person looks like a bigger badass but Russo's just like, well, what if he lost to Alexis Lurie and Julio De Niro? Yeah, I expect the NWA title shots to be happening any day now. Like This entire thing played out throughout the entire month as Russo and Russo supporters threw fits. Russo, he, like, it's, it's all down to, like, they just edit his stuff and he cannot handle it. He cannot handle being edited. But, like, you know, as we've talked about before, this month, 
was pretty good. So maybe if Russo just gets edited, his stuff is pretty good. <laughs> but that's always been the thing with Russo. It's, it's always been like, this man's unfiltered creative ideas are terrible. They always have been. The dude cannot handle unfiltered creative control because he indulges his worst instincts and the shows become unbearable. But he does mm. have creative ideas. He does have things he can input. So when it becomes like, alright, we're going to pick your good ideas, Vince, and shove the rest the absolute shite that doesn't understand wrestling remotely to the side the good thumbs up you can have good stuff on this show because i think this is broadly the best month creatively in tna history so far uh, it's definitely up there if probably as like a storytelling promotion yeah there's probably been better wrestling months, but this is probably the best storytelling month. And, like, there's good wrestling on these shows as well, so it's like it's not like, you know... One of my favourite matches in company history takes place this month. Yeah, so the, it's not like the, it's it's horrible wrestling, but, you know, good angles. It's pretty good wrestling, occasionally great wrestling, and pretty good angles, occasionally great angles. None of it's like, it's not like a home run, this is the best month ever, you know, this is up there with the peak of any promotion. It's not. But in terms of TNA history so far, it's pretty darn good. In you know what the thing is too? I bet Vince is one of these guys that like takes offense to his work being edited, but like, that's a skill too. Mm. Like, being able to take someone's unfiltered ideas and turn them into a finished polished product is a skill and isn't something to be offended by. It happens in almost every media industry. Yeah. It's like, do you think if you write an article for literally any media outlet ever, it's not going to be edited? I don't know about you, but every time I put a post to Voices of Wrestling, it just goes straight up. There's not a single, not a single look over by anyone. Anytime Rich edits a word, Liam just throws a fit. He's like, bro, yeah. you don't understand. You're killing the business. You my vision, bro. I, I, I go to Garrett and I start complaining. <laughs> bro, we've got to take I, over. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I start talking to Andrew Rich behind the scenes, and I'm like, bro, this this rich, crazy guy, he's out of line. He doesn't understand my vision, bro. He's just, he cannot work as part of a team. That's what becomes abundantly clear in the, the, these first ten months, that this dude just cannot be part of a, a group of people doing something. It has to be him. Hmm. Maybe that's... That's the key, you know. We've had all this uh, talk in, you know, 2021 about this third major promotion popping up at some point. Maybe we just need full, unfiltered Vince Russo. That's what the wrestling world needs. Uh, I see it in my Twitter. There's a, a dude called is it Chris Lomas or Lonas who is always in my Twitter mentions and has been for like three years. Uh, he just pops up being like, this is nothing like the Russo days. It's like, dude, just quit wrestling. Yeah, fuck it, let's do it. I, I, if, I solemnly swear that if Vince Russo opens a pro wrestling promotion in the next year, I will cover every episode of it. Yes, it's called NXT 2.0. Oh shit! What if he actually was? And listen, and looking at the like the tenor of the program, I I wouldn't be entirely shocked if that was a Vince Russo joint. Hmm. It has many of his trademarks. All right, let's go. I mean, uh, sure, why not, huh? It's at the very least written in the inspired by Vince Russo category. <laughs> yes, it is um, Vince Russo adjacent at the very least. Mm. Big thing is people thought basically Russo was Panda's choice all along, and despite Jerry kind of winning that political fight at the time, it was an inevitability that eventually Russo would worm his way past Jerry and maybe even past Jeff. The goal of this man, mm. like my friend, brings me into his promotion. And pays Side me a shit with ton of my money. with with uh, me over his father. 
Also, it gets me a job in an industry when I'm not going to get another job at a major level. Where I got a job with the WWF and was fired within like two weeks. But hey, let's let's twist the knife in his back a little bit. Just make him thoroughly regret every decision he's ever made regarding me while he's trying to run a company and wrestle in big main event matches and having to deal with all of this shite. And bleeding every second of every week. Yeah, and, like, Raven is, like, Russo's pal, so he's working this program with Raven, and Russo's, like, the political force trying to ruin him, and he might be, like, thinking, it's like, is Raven part of this political force trying to ruin me? <sighs> and, like, the, the clearest sign that Russo has far too much control, there's a big one Dave Meltzer mentions, which is that Jarrett losing to the Gathering in a handicap match, which is something that Jerry never would have done. Honestly, the bigger one is the way Glenn Gilberti is booked this month over AJ Styles. That's a rough one. That's a real rough one. And the problem is, it's like, you know, we found a a pleasant medium with Glenn Gilberti, and then it just got thrown up in the air, and he got turned into, like, a main focus on the show. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that when we get into the show, but there's a lot of Glenn Gilberti being bizarrely a badass on these shows. Slapping people. Uh, There was some talk backstage among company officials about a project named TNA Genesis, or NWA TNA Genesis. Mm -hmm. The plans were to do a a two-hour highlight show that would cost one cent, which is a thing they do do eventually, but I don't think they call it Genesis. So it's a free show. In all essence, yes. It's a, a best of show that costs one cent as a big like preview. Do you still have to like go through the trouble of ordering? Yes, you have to pay a cent for it. That's bullshit. They should, they, I feel like that, would, that, that barrier is enough to stop people from ordering it. Yeah. I have to ring my pay-per-view provider and order NWAT and Genesis? Nah. That will happen later in the year. The most interesting thing for me there is like here in 2003, we're seeing the Genesis name. Which would become a pay-per-view mm. in 2005. Well, that just seems to be a recurring theme within the company's history, is that plans or ideas always end up paying out eventually, just maybe not in the original manner you'd think. Mm. Yeah, we've seen a ton of things that do blossom into full things, but are not, in fact, uh, executed here in 2003. Genesis being one of them. Well, actually, no, well, the, the one-cent oh, pay-per-view does uh, pan out. Gen- I, just, I don't remember it being called Genesis, but maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see. Uh, the TNA girls who dance in the cages are only being paid 50 bucks a week. They deserve more. They do. Goldilocks. Uh, no, you turned on Goldilocks this month, didn't you? Listen, I just said I have moved on. It was a, a mutual separation, I'm sure, and mutual respect. Still friends. There's a, a fun note later in the month in the PW Torch about Goldilocks where it's like, people think Goldilocks is a stripper, but she actually delivers pizzas for a living. Ah, huh. I mean, fair play. <laughs> She could probably earn more money stripping. Clearly, Tracy Brooks wants these this fifty dollars because she's desperate to take Goldilocks's cage job. I think that feud loses some luster when you work out the price point. There is fifty dollars when she wants the fifty bucks to dance in the cage for the night. You're like Tracy. You're no Tracy. Like just ask if you if you need if you need the fifty. Mm. But I think Tracy does it for the love of the game. Of course. Border City's Wrestling, Scott Demore is scheduled to debut as an agent. The company has been more or less without agents, so he debuts this month as an agent. And you immediately see his influence, because obviously there's two people who show up in these shows, one being Tracy Brooks and one being Chris Sabin. Uh, Chris Sabin is a Border City Wrestling pupil. So you immediately see some Scott Demore referrals showing up on these these shows, one of whom is one of the best wrestlers in TNA history. The other, which is Chris Sabin. (laughs) Yeah, Scott, you know. uh, The man who... It's funny... Move over Jeff, mm-hmm. move over Vince, 
Because we have the man who does end up in charge. Yeah, the, the, the man who plays the long game. He's like, I'm going to yeah. wait it out. And he, like, he ends up in charge twice. So he ends up in charge in 2005 and in 2017. So Scott clearly is the, I, the political maestro here in the NWATNA. Big fan of Scott Damore in every facet. Mm. Great on-air character, As, by the way. Great on-air character. And you know what? Fucking pretty great behind-the-scenes guy, too. Yes, I agree with that statement. <laughs> I do agree with that statement. Yeah. But I was going to say, I know you would. I also have to agree with that statement, technically. But I do agree with that but, statement. Uh, yes. What times were, like, the least amount of complaints in TNA history? It's, like, 2005 and, like, the other time that Scott took over. Mm. Yeah. That's when, like, things are pretty great. The company is not desperately running out of money or in some constant political or struggle. losing or... TV deals because they employ people. Or they send emails that they shouldn't perhaps send. That seems to be a theme just in American media. It's a theme in TNA history. There's multiple times they have accidentally sent emails to people they should not send. And it's it causes serious repercussions in the history of TNA. Emails will get you. Don't accidentally CC the head of your network complaining about them not using their plus seven ratings. That's very funny. But alas, Scott Demore here. We will get to that eventually. We'll have some more notes on Scott Demore uh, later in the show as he's <laughs> also just in history. Yes, we'll be talking about Scott <laughs> for the re- for the rest of the show's history. We will have notes about Scott Demore. Brian Lawler told No Holds Barred Radio on April twentieth that he took a pay cut when the company was suffering. He said company officials promised him a new contract, but he's yet to receive one. Paid my man's. He said the urge he's he has the urge to return to WWE and has been waiting for the opportunity to go back and prove himself. This is a month where a lot of people are like, "Hey, should we go to WWE?" <laughs> Hey, this Russo guy is getting, like, remarkably unbearable. Should we try and go to back to Vince? Because there is a lot of complaining in the media about TNA this month. Because we mentioned there was the AJ one complaining about a topless woman. Ron Killings goes on a radio show and says he doesn't like how he's being booked and he wants to go back to WWE. And that they want him to come back to work with Cena. Chris Harris does does an interview at one stage complaining about Vince Russo's direction. Jerry Lynn does an interview complaining about there's too much talking and not enough wrestling. Like, all of the talent are on these shows are just moaning. Yeah, that's always a good sign, and always a sign of a very healthy company when all of the this talent are, are going to every possible media outlet to have a wine. Mm. And, like, the thing is, Killings, it, it's it's that TNA thing. It's like, you think maybe they're smart. Well, it's not really smart to have one of your biggest stars bury your company. But maybe the idea is, like, Killings on this television show was moaning about his lack of push. So is it one of those things where he's doing that in the media, so they're like, we're just going to make your character that? Or is it the, like the be- other thing where it's like go out there moan a little and we'll turn, you know we'll lay the seeds for the character? Well, like maybe because like him going out there and going on the show and being like oh yeah they want me to go back to WWE and work with John Cena also is him kind of like going look at how this company sees me you know mm. like they they want me to go in there with their new top guy that they're pushing like. It's a, it's a good way of, like, raising your own stock through that as well. I'm pretty sure he gets a new contract this month as well, so it, it works. Mm, there you go. But, like, there's multiple times in the history of TNA where people complaining about their push becomes their character. Like, it happens to the Motor City Machine Guns at one point. It happens to Chris Harris at one point. Where it's like, clearly these, these people are going out in the media or moping backstage. And for the reasons beyond comprehension, they turn that into their character. They do it with Ron Killings this month, as I said. That's a Russo staple. Though. Yeah, it's one of those Russo things. Like, you're going to give out, I'm going to turn you giving out into your character, bro. Uh, the story going around the TNA office is that Ed Ferreira recently contacted Vince Russo in hopes of getting his job back in TNA. 
I also hope that he gets his job back in TNA, to be fair. The entire office uh, was laughing at Ferrara, as apparently there are some bad feelings over his decision to quit. Because remember when he, he, the company was going to shitter, and they were like, hey, mm. Ed, take a pay cut? He's like, no, I'm leaving. Ed Ferrara is truly the Katsuyori Shibata of NWA TNA. He should have to go back and fight Mike Tanay <laughs> to earn his respect and get his way back into the company. Well, there is a point on one of these shows where Don does wear a very Ed Ferrara t-shirt, so maybe it's Don he has to fight. Wow, maybe that was a shot. Yeah, Don is like, you want to come back, Ed? I'm wearing your shirt. It was actually Ed Ferrara's shirt that he left backstage. <laughs> yeah, Don should show up with his hair braided wearing a leather jacket next week. <laughs> no, he shouldn't. <laughs> yes, he should. Mm, I agree, actually. Former WWE and WCW writer Bill Banks, who followed Vince Russo to WCW, will likely be hired in the office full-time. Uh, Banks basically ran TNA Digital for the best part of a decade. Cool. So that's a notable hire at the time. More of uh, Russo's guys getting in. I'm sure that won't affect the clickiness of the promotion. Just out here poisoning the well. It's just a very dirty well. The company sent Jared, Jeremy Warsh, Mike Tanay, Raven, Conan, D'Lo Brown and Trinity to a, the national cable TV convention over the past week. WWE was there too. They sent Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. TNA sent a be- much better contingent there, didn't they? Sorry, I just read the last line of that and it made me laugh a lot. <laughs> Oh, that they accidentally scheduled a cocktail party head-to-head with the UFC's cocktail party. (laughs) (laughs) That rules. I love the idea of, like, Dana and Jared just being, like, looking at each other from across the convention centers. Like, ah. Ken Shamrock is standing in the middle of the room awkwardly between both parties. It's like, uh... (laughs) He's also in the middle, like, it's a trifecta, and he sees the Triple H one on the other side, and he's like, ah. Everyone's just looking at Ken, standing there. A later iteration of TNA would have filmed some sort of segment with Triple H and Steph's thing. They would have crashed their presentation. Yeah, offered them cookies. They would have sent Conan in accusing them of being racist. Yeah, and you know what? That would have been a great set. They should have done that. They should have, they should have sent Conan over there with like TNA trying to like... No, with Borash, obviously. Send Borash and Conan over. Trinity moonsaults off the, off the ceiling onto Stephanie McMahon. I think that's just the salt, unfortunately. <laughs> TNA had a disappointing crowd, apparently, uh, at a presentation headed by TNA, where they ran apparently a very good four-minute highlight video, which maybe they should put on the show then. Release the the cable TV convention cut. Yeah, I assume, because JB did cut all the videos on these shows, I assume it was a Borash joint. So JB, release the cable TV cut. Release that, and also just give us the, the original version of the, the Raven Jarrett highlight video, please. Mm. So, uh, a fun note, you noted in the crowd on the uh, April 23rd show, Liam, that they did have somebody in the crowd who had the Smackdown spoilers for that week. Yes, I did notice that. So there's a fun story behind that. At the WWE Smackdown show on April 22nd in Nashville, (laughs) TNA employees were passing out free tickets for the 23rd and 30th weekly pay-per-views. They were saying you could see D'Lo and Raven... Uh, and a lot of the TNA regulars brought fans. Those fans were confiscated because they were they were bringing like six days until Raven and Jarrett signs. So in retaliation, <laughs> those fans brought the SmackDown spoilers to, to TNA. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that kind of stuff. That's really funny. Yeah. I was going to say, yet again, they should have sent D'Lo Brown and Raven <laughs> to the SmackDown show. They should have sent Conan there to accuse. <laughs> like, because Raven was there recently enough that he could like start cutting promos out in the, in the crowd and they probably would have got a... A good reaction to it. Mm. So yeah, it's a it's a uh, fun thing where the fans retaliated to their signs being confiscated by having the SmackDown spoilers on camera. Very good. That's good stuff. That's the kind of um, 
war stuff that you love to see, isn't it? Because, yeah, we haven't gotten a ton of, like, war stuff between WWE and TNA at this stage. They very much existed in their respective isolation. Mm. And it's mostly because they're they're not at war, you know? It's like, there's... Well, you know, it's one side shouting about them very occasionally, but that's about Mm. it. It's certainly not two companies competing at this stage. There's a gigantic gulf between them. And they kind of always will be. Yeah, even, you know, we've just finished covering the Monday Night Wars on the Patreon. If you'd like to go, the entire series is there now, tnhad.com. You can pay five bucks and you can get all ten episodes of Monday War Games where you go through the entire 2010 Monday Night War. And yes, uh, Ring Cat King will be what we cover next. Uh, That starts this weekend or next weekend on the, the Patreon. So... Uh, you have all that to look forward to. But yeah, even when they were at the peak of actually going to war, actually going head-to-head, they were at war. They were, didn't care. Rinka King had a better chance. Hey, Rinka King has been watched by more people than ever watched Raw. Or AEW. Though probably not in terms of actual worldwide numbers. Yeah, well, you know what? 14 mil ain't nothing to sneeze at. But apparently in India, that is something to sneeze at because they were like, yeah, that's nothing. Oh yeah, because that's like, oh, that's just a regular... There's a billion people in India, Liam. A billion. Yeah. So 14 million on TV in in a country of a billion people is like, actually, you know, that's actually a modest disappointment. Just imagining the things that a Tony Khan or a Vince McMahon would do to someone to ensure a $14 million TV rating every week. In the US, they'd probably, Vince would, like, Vince would murder people if he could get 14 million people to watch his TV show every week. You know what? I would too. Mm. The company had a cover story in the Nashville scene on the day of the Raven Jarrett match. It largely portrayed the company as this underdog group battling against WWE. Hmm, where have we seen that recently? Oh, they're just paying for media. It's just the journalists being paid off by Dixie Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, eat shit Adam 372562. <laughs> Dixie atting people in, like, forums, being like, I didn't pay for any coverage. I, I wish Dixie was a forum person, like a TK. She's just like, oh, P, this is the Nashville scene, just see a hot company doing cool things, that's why they want to cover us, no other reason. I love TNA's relationship with their local Nashville scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's a very fun dynamic to read about because it does make them feel so like a local indie. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of love it. It ende- it helps endear me to them. It is interesting. I'm reading um, Burt Prentice's book, which was released in the last couple of weeks posthumously. And there is some stuff about TNA. And like he was the local promoter. Like Technically, the lease for the asylum is his. TNA sublet it from him. And it is interesting to read like him talk about the effect TNA had on Nashville as a wrestling market. Because, as we mentioned, mm. they flooded this market with free tickets for basically the bones of two years. For the entire time that TNA was in Nashville, they gave away free tickets. Because he talks in the book how uh, Dixie Carter was never really interested in drawing a crowd. They just wanted people in the building. Like, they, they didn't care about making that ticket revenue. It was probably pretty negligible at the end of the day anyway. So they would, they would sell what they could and then just try and pack people in because they saw the audience as a prop. They saw the audience as just a means to an end and very little more. But he does talk about afterward how, like, TNA in 2004, like, up ship, went to Orlando full-time. And he's like, all right, I'll start promoting again here. Because he was working full-time for TNA to promote the weekly Asylum show. And it turned out he could not get people to pay for tickets anymore. Basically, they killed it. Because they were so used to just coming to the show. Yeah, they were so used to walking into their local, like, Kmart, picking some TNA tickets off of the, like, the, the freaking counter while buying their chewing gum. And then going to the free TNA show. 
and by all accounts he could not sell tickets in that market anymore because they had just run it dry with people who expected to be able to see wrestling for free instead of being able to pay for it when um impacted their homecoming show they should have done that oh yeah just just for nostalgia's sake they should have just papered the state with tickets yeah, it would have been real funny. Yeah, I mean, that's what's going to happen, isn't it? But I can also see, if you, if you're, as a company, you don't care about selling tickets for the profit, and you just want people there, um, that is, if that's something you don't care about, then sure, why not? Because guaranteeing a full crowd probably is helpful if you just don't care about the ticket price. Yeah, they, they saw themselves, first and foremost, because they, they were a TV company. They ran one show a week, every week on pay-per-view. They were a pay-per-view company, thank you very much. Actually, no, they, they do a weird thing on one of these shows where they're like, we're the biggest television show on pay-per-view. It's like, hmm. I mean, I yes. But also, like, this whole time, like, Vince just treats it like a television show anyway. I think that's it. They're, like, deliberately framing it as a television show because it is a television show. Yeah. It, it's not a paper. It's far from it some weeks. But, yeah, so they they ran the market dry. Poor Bert couldn't promote in Nashville anymore. He had the lease on that building for five years, and he couldn't promote in Nashville anymore. No. An interesting note from this Nashville scene piece, it is the first time where Jerry Jarrett admits when the company shut down at the end of August, uh, they were pretty much planning to close it unless Panda intervened. It's a cool thing to admit. Yeah, it's a thing they never admitted for a long time. If you remember when we were talking about that, it's like, no, we're just we, we're going on a little hiatus. You know, we Fine hiatus. We don't want to run on nine eleven, and we don't want we, we're just taking another week off for no particular reason at all. We're not shutting the company down. Damn, this podcast would have been so short. <laughs> we could have ended it. And now they're publicly admitting it that yes, they did in fact plan to shut the company down had they not gotten that investment from Panda Energy and Dixie. It's really hard to kill. Ah, coming up in January. I see what you did there. Yes, I was the one who did that. <laughs> so that brings us to the month of April on screen, which... Let's go. Liam's... What an interesting and fun month. Huh? Which was Liam's favorite thing. A five pay-per-view month. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> As we move on to broad topics, the place that makes sense to start is Jarrett Raven. But I'm honestly more interested in Styles Gilberti. So we're going to start with Styles and Gilberti. <laughs> sure. Because we can we can throw the D-Lo stuff in there too. So this month is a frankly bizarre month for Glenn Gilberti, where for some reason they decide this dude is a badass. Well, I don't know, right? Because he's a badass, but he's also a gigantic dork. He jumps around. Mm. And honestly, probably more annoying. <laughs> so like the month starts, he calls out D-Lo, because D-Lo was in the main event of the first show against Jarrett. The whole idea is he's flirting with joining sex. And he AJ comes out. He brawls with AJ, where he he like he just kicks AJ Styles' ass for like a sustained period. He just beats him, just beats him up. He just like this guy, the ace of the company, the guy who you put all your titles on on the first day. You're having Glenn Gilberti just come out and kick his ass. Yeah, Ugh. that's because he's your guy. He's your friend. So in the following week, AJ Styles faces Glenn Gilberti one on one, and like. This is frankly, like, they wrestle again the next week and Gilberti wins. AJ wins this match, but I think somehow AJ looks worse in this match against Gilberti than the match that uh, Gilberti actually won. Because, like, while AJ does win, Gilberti just dominates him. And, like, he doesn't just... Yeah, he eats him up. He doesn't just dominate him, like, physically. It's not like, oh, Gilberti has strength. Like, Gilberti out-wrestles AJ Styles in this wrestling match. There's multiple times where it's like, Gilberti has counters for AJ. And he's like, he's the better pro-wrestler in this wrestling match against AJ Styles. 
something that I feel they kind of drop off towards the end of the month, mm. where he like becomes a bit more of a dork again. But yeah, at the start, there was definitely some sort of weird brief push to establish Gilberti here, and it was at the... It was at AJ Styles' um, turmoil. Yeah, certainly at the expense of AJ. Because, like, AJ wins. They do this thing where Gilberti uh, drops him. He puts his feet in the ropes. He gets a visual pin over AJ. In fact, Mike Posey, the referee, does count three, but realizes afterward that Gilberti has his feet in the ropes. It's the most visual pin it can get. It is literally a three count over AJ Styles. Then AJ hits the Styles Clash and for some reason also puts his feet in the ropes. So, like, he couldn't even beat Gilberti clean. Well, because I think AJ's still meant to be, like, a heel here. That's, like, again, that comes back to the whole problem we've had with this promotion from the beginning where everyone is everything. Because, yeah, there, there's not a baby face in the main event scene. Like, for some reason, they decided to start turning D'Lo to join Sex, which is the thing they abandon. They start the month turning Jeff Jarrett heel, which by the end of the month is a the thing they kind of ignore again. Like, AJ, I think, is a heel for most of the month, but then works a babyface tag team with D'Lo, and then Raven is a heel. I Like, I have no idea. This company is just a bunch of unlikable people and dust. The thing is true, it's like, it's all throughout it too, because like, Eric Watts is for the first half is a heel, but then kind of becomes like this weird, like, friend of Jarrett instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, and like, and even if you th- want to say that like, he's still a heel at the end of the month, it's still a very different character from the start of the month. Because like, he's just kind of meant to be, you know, badass guy beating dudes up at the start, but then he kind of turns into this manic uh, insane person by the end of it. Yeah, even looking at the AMW split, like the period, the, it's set up at the start where like Storm is the babyface and Harris is the heel, kind of, at least in the way they're splitting it. But then they kind of start turning Storm and Storm is the jerk toward Harris. And like, yeah, it's it's all over the place. Everybody on the show just flip-flops at any given moment. Like Ron Killings is back to being like, he starts the month a, a babyface, he works a match against Skipper, and then by the end of the month, he's a heel again. He's turned for, like, the 17th time in the short history of TNA Wrestling. Well, I can give you a few other ones as well. All of Team Extreme go from babyfaces to heels by the end mm-hmm. of it. Alexis debuts as a heel, then wrestles a match as a babyface, and then goes heel again. Yep. The Amazing Red is a weird heel throughout this week, through this uh, month. Conan babyfaces for one week and then goes heel again. Mm-hmm. Cash babyfaces for a week and goes heel again. And like, technically Trinity does a babyface turn as well this month, so... Yeah. I think she's always kind of been a face, but um, it's definitely, like, amplified here. But that's the problem. Like, even if you want to say, yeah, she's always kind of been a face, you can say that about literally everyone on this show. They've always kind of been this, kind of been that. There's no concrete here anywhere. Yeah, it's a very strange confused pro wrestling show <laughs> like we talked about how it's like oh, it's the best creative month in tna history <laughs> we're like well yeah it's funny right it's like it, it, but it is it's still the best creative month in tna history but it's still like that confusing yeah it's just a show that makes no cohesive sense it's a show that changes by the week that's the russo thing you do not get consistent characters with this man because he gets just bored with the idea of who all these people are and then they flip-flop and there he goes there's a he their heels their baby faces he doesn't know how to make people likable he does know how to make people sound and seem like jerks all the time that's his specialty the red one's extra funny because like in the same month he like finally reaches his like baby face peak again and, like, two weeks before, he was, like, beating up women. Yeah, and, like, even this month, he's not really... He's not a heel, but when you look at the ways he beats Jerry Lynn and he beats Kid Cash, 
it thoroughly makes him look like an undeserving jerk. Well, also, like, he cuts that really, like, cocky piece of shit promo as well. Mm. And, like, it's, it's it's everywhere because, like... But I guess a, a part of it goes to the crowd, too, because as we learnt through this month, the biggest babyface move in the business is beating up women. Yeah, and, like, that's... Listen, that's not new. That's a, that's a Russo thing, too. That's been a real staple since he got in power around here, too, is women getting beaten up by men to get pops. Like, the, the Dudleys got over entirely by powerbombing women through tables. <laughs> like, the, this is nothing new. Which in the, the... quite literally happened. Yeah. <laughs> this This month. Jeff Jarrett powerbombed women through tables. So, that's clearly playing that playbook over and over again. And, like, but they, I don't know, the the Jarrett stuff was just extra cringy for me. But we won't, we'll get to that in a minute. Still talking about Glenn. <laughs> yes. Speaking of cringy. So, yeah, Glenn loses to AJ. But, like, the, even then, they're like, we can't possibly have Glenn Gilberti just being beaten by AJ. He'll, he'll look too weak. So he beats the shit out of referee Mike Posey after the match. <laughs> Did Mike also, was he also the one who fucked up the count? Towards the end of the uh, month? No, that was um, Andrew Thomas. Ah, just a bad month for referees in general mm-hmm. in TNA. We'll get to that when we talk about the X Division. So, following week, April 16th, Styles and Gilberti have a rematch in ODQ where Gilberti wins the match. As he should. We've heard the finish was actually quite good. He was holding a chair and he hit the, the chart buster, his stunner on the chair, and AJ dropped neck first. It was actually quite cool. It was well timed. Did some cool stuff. That's the thing, is like, he does do some cool stuff. Uh, does he? Very occasionally. <laughs> He's no Mike Sanders. Well, Mike Sanders had AJ's best match. <laughs> Certainly had a better match than both of the Gilberti matches. Combined, yes. Like, we're here. The entire month of April is AJ Styles feuding with Jan Gilberti. That's all he does. Why Why have we done this? Then, this guy is the face of the company. We get, we get... <laughs> well, he's not, though. No. He? At least towards the end of the month, we get the formation of a great tag team. Styles and D-Lo, Yeah. And like, people are always like, "Oh, you weren't hiring the WWE guys. That's what killed TNA." It's like, no, it's shit like this. It's like AJ losing the Kurt Angle didn't hurt AJ Styles a a, 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 a smidge. AJ Styles feuding for a month with Glenn Gilberti, where for the entirety of the feud, Glenn Gilberti looks better than AJ, both in terms of booking and in terms of how these matches are structured. That is what hurts AJ Styles. I don't know if, like, specifically this example, but in general, Mm -hmm. yes. The ethos of that. Because I don't think anything, like, this early on really affects anything in the long run. But having that perception definitely does in the long run. It's just all... It's these people. It's like AJ becoming a Ric Flair mini-me instead of himself, as we, we, again, jump... Yeah, I think that's a more painful uh, choice than the one-month Glenn Gilberti feud. But also, like, if the Glenn Gilberti feud happened in 2009 and not 2003... Mm-hmm. It would have been as painful, probably more. It's reflective of a broader issue which sustains. Yes, than an actual specific example. Mm. So yes, as you mentioned, we then get the formation of the AJ Styles and D'Lo Brown tag team over their shared dislike of Glengalberry and Mike Sanders. They can't even beat them though. They freaking go to a DQ after interference. <laughs> I forgot that that match even happened. <laughs> like, yeah, that opens the show. You're like, all right, Styles and D'Lo are finally going to get, like, a, a comprehensive victory over Glenn Gilberti and Mike Sanders. It's like, nah, sex runs in, DQ. Mm. You can't even have them beat Gilberti and Sanders in a tag team match. At least last show of the month, AJ and D'Lo do beat Siaki and David Young. Yeah. But you might be thinking, why are Siaki and David Young teaming? They hate each other. We'll get to it. Mm. For another great story. We'll talk about Sanders before we move on. Mike Sanders also had a month. Uh, he had a complete 
reinvention. So yeah, he starts the month, or he's not quite feuding with D'Lo, but he's on the outs of sex, but because because he accidentally costs D'Lo his world title match against Jeff Jarrett. And he's been losing. Yes, he's been losing over and over again. But that's no, everybody in sex has been losing over and over again. Yeah, but like, they decided to make that actually a part of his character as well. Yeah, so the the main event of the first show of the month, April 2nd, is Jarrett and D'Lo for the world title, where they have uh, not a very good match. Yeah, you really wanted to say that it was a good match, but it wasn't. <laughs> I want to root for D'Lo so much that I'm like, all right, uh, uh, maybe, but no, no, it's just bad. It's just the Jeff Jarrett tropes without any of the good stuff. Yeah. And it's a bizarre thing where they started turning Jarrett heel that night, but also D'Lo was the heel in this match because he was potentially joining sex. So it's just like, what What are you trying to achieve here? Especially with D'Lo, who, like, the crowd loves. The crowd, like, are so into D'Lo Brown. And you're like teasing well, heel turns and they sex were joining. three, four weeks ago. <laughs> no, even like when he comes out for the Sanders match, pe- the people are cheering D'Lo. People like D'Lo on the these shows. Yeah, but I think he's lost his star or because they fucking decided to turn him heel for no reason. Yeah, ugh, this stupid company. He comes out, gets a superstar reaction. I think that was your first. This stupid company. <laughs> This was, I believe, the first noted in... It took how many episodes now? We're on 11. It took 11 episodes, but we got the first time of Garrett getting actually (laughs) mad talking about TNA. Because it's like, he comes out, he's a big star, superstar reaction, great shape, good promo, people are going nuts, you got D'Lo Brown here. Like, he does the big anti-WWE promo, he's going to prove to the world just what D'Lo Brown can do. And then you decide to, like, turn him kind of heel and he might join sex and then he loses to Jarrett, who you're also turning kind of heel. And then the crowd just don't like him as much anymore. And you've ruined D'Lo Brown in the space of three weeks. How do you do that? I'm I'm fist pumping. Go off, King. Ugh, it's so frustrating to watch. And they'll do this over and over and over again with anybody who has any, like, modicum of momentum. (laughs) And here we are. Dilo's probably... Actually, no, Ron is probably the first person they've done it with, to be honest. But at least they strapped him up. Yeah, Achilles did win the belt, but then they utterly sabotaged him, and he, they turned him babyface and heel every two weeks, and they can't possibly decide what they're doing with Ron Killings. And they downcycled him more than the, I think I've ever seen a world champion downcycled after he lost the belt. <sighs> I love it. I love that we finally got to this point. <laughs> it just took Dilo. It just took ruining Dilo in three weeks. It just took almost a year. <laughs> So D'Lo wrestles Mike Sanders the next week because the whole thing is Gilberti is like, should I choose D'Lo or Sanders? And he chooses Sanders, so. Yeah, chooses his friend, which he should, by the way. It's another one of those things where there's a report in the PW Torch that Mike Sanders is not well-liked in the locker room. And then the, the following week on the television show, the story on the television show is that Mike Sanders is not well-liked in the locker room. Man, the most gotten to rider of all time. Eh? It is like, like again, you could be like, oh, maybe they're planting the stories, but I- I'm more inclined to believe that they are so like gotten to and tuned into the internet, and they think their audience is tuned into the internet. They think their audience is reading the sheets, so that's like, oh, there's a report of Mike Sanders being un- like a guy the locker room doesn't like, so we're gonna turn it into a story on the TV show where Mike Sanders is a guy the locker room doesn't like. How funny is that? Uh, it's not. It's stupid. Just going back to the Sanders stuff for a bit with the D'Lo stuff, I also think it's very funny that 
D'Lo was only mad about this Sanders interference mm-hmm. because it didn't work. And if it worked, he would have been all for cheating to win. Yeah, Sanders accidentally hit him with a super kick and he got beaten by Jared. D'Lo is a bad guy. Yeah, it's not like you interfered in my match, I'm not happy. It's like you interfered in my match, it didn't work, and now I'm not happy. Yeah, like, bad guy. <laughs> not a good person. He's not a nice man. So Gilberti backstage is like, I wouldn't possibly ever choose D'Lo. You're my guy. Now go out there and beat D'Lo. And then he loses to D'Lo. Yeah. But then after the match, Sanders, uh, Siaki on Gilberti attack D'Lo. And then for some reason, we decide to get a Mike Sanders character reboot. He was doing so well. That's what I was going to say. I, I really don't understand why they're like, this Mike Sanders guy isn't working out. When it's like, he's probably doing the best work of his career. And now is the time you're like, let's reboot him. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. He goes back to doing his 2000 WCW above average gimmick where he dresses like a tool and acts like a tool. And it's it's so much less compelling. Not that Mike Sanders was the most compelling character in the world in the first place, but he's so much less compelling. I think Russo resents the fact that he started working good matches. Uh, Legitimately, it probably is. So he's like... You get your ass back into that character mode. Mm, you go back to above average Mike Sanders. You had a, a too good a match with AJ Styles. You had too good a match with... He wrestles Kid Cash for the X title on one of these shows somewhere. Even though he lost a bunch of matches. You're wrestling too good. So yeah. Tone it down, mate. He's dumped back into being a nerd. Who wears a freaking bandana and dresses like a dope. And is very annoying. But mm. for some reason, AJ Styles and D'Lo Brown still can't beat in a tag team match. No, of course not. <laughs> So that is the story of Mike Sanders for this year month of April. It's so funny with these five shows, we just have so much going on. <laughs> There's so many different story beats and all of this stuff, which does bring us to Jarrett and Raven, which we will start by talking about Eric Watts. Oh, thank God. I'm glad we can get into Eric Watts' discussion. I will preface our Eric Watts' discussion with, I think everything he did is this month is terrible and awful and cringy and just horrific. Now, Liam, what did you think of okay. it? I will now dub April 2003 the year of Eric Watts' redemption. Oh, no. For this was the month where he turned into a great character on this show. I loved this month. And... You know, fair enough for the podcast too. It all started April 2nd with a fantastic segment of him just taking a camera to one of these celebrity parties and getting all these guys who don't give a shit about wrestling to talk shit about Jeff Jeff. Yeah, he had Brian Urlacher, he had Neil McCoy, he had Ira Dean. I forgot to write down some of the rest of the names. Uh, Let me very quickly check. Mark Ripon. Mark Ripon was another person he had. I don't know who that is. Jim McMahon. I think they're football people. Uh, He he also had... um, the the golfer who was the golfer he had he was actually a famous golfer wasn't it John Daly John Daly of course very famous golfer of Daly's place yeah, of course yes the owner of Daly's place these are the people who Eric Watts had to to shit on and bury Jeff Jarrett it's a fantastic segment and it was so funny to see like these actual like famous sports people mm-hmm. be like oh yeah Eric my best friend I'm here with my friend Eric Watts just to talk about. Uh, Jeff Jarrett and we're gonna you're Jarrett Eric's gonna he's gonna you bloody you did something to him (laughs) yeah so you suck you could never be here Jeff Jarrett Jeff why aren't you here hanging out drinking beers in this shitty hotel room if you'd remember he faked being at a charity shindig so he could attack somebody last month so this is Eric Watts at an actual charity shindig getting all the famous people to bury Jeff Jarrett God, this is great. This is great stuff. Here. Of the things Eric Watts did in the month of April, this was pretty good. The rest of it, shite. This, that, no, no, no. That sounds like Eric Dobbs, Eric Watts Redemption Power. Uh-huh. 
And then, of course, we go to the next week. Well, well, well should we do the Jared Goldie stuff here, too? Yeah, because this month, the Jared is also turning heel, kind of. So he has an interview with Goldilocks, where Goldilocks points out that's like, Jeff, you said you were going to a charity event, but then decided to attack somebody. That's... That's not very nice guy behavior. It's like, you want to see a nice guy, Goldie? And then grabs her by the throat and chokes her. It wasn't even that. It was it was Goldie going, you know, some of the boys in the mm. back, uh, they were kind of questioning it. And he's like, oh, you're one of the boys now, Goldie. Huh? You're in this business now, Goldie. He's paranoid. He's freaking so it was out. For, yeah. It was for an even more innocuous comment. Mm. So the idea of this story is that Jared's got so many people gunning for him at this point that he is on edge and he's paranoid and he is uh, breaking down a little bit because he has he just got through Delo he has Raven on his back and Eric Watts constantly pestering him. So he decides to choke some women to get out his frustration. Yeah. All right, continue your Eric Watts month. All right, so we go down to April ninth. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> all you wrote was Watts does something. <laughs> yes. Do you care to clarify what that something was? Do you think I cared that much about the Eric Watts story? <laughs> well, all I know is from uh, from this week, we had the Dusty Lola ladder match with the NWA title on the line, which Eric Watts just runs in and takes yes. it. Yes, we'll talk more about the Dusty Lola stuff later, which is, I think, honestly the highlight of the month. But that is the, the Eric Watts beat of that match. <laughs> he just runs in and takes it. Next week, he meets Dusty in the car park. They have a fun little exchange. I really like Dusty here. And I like, like, what's his, this is, not in this section, but in the last episode of the month, what's is like, the only person I've seen break Dusty? Yeah. Because <laughs> in the, uh, the last segment of the month, once Watts has gone full Looney Tunes, he just, he's like, he just pulls the Andrew title out of his belt, out of a bag, and just gives it back. <laughs> To Dusty Rhodes. He's like, I'm sorry, Dusty. And Dusty's like, Dusty, Dusty's like, thank you. He's very confused by this Eric Watts behavior. <laughs> and like, and Dusty just kind of breaks a bit, and it's very funny because yeah, like for the first two weeks of this month, Eric Watts hates Jeff Jarrett. He gets all these celebrities to bury him. He's like, you're the worst guy in the world. Then the Eric Watts does something, bro. It's just a promo backstage with I think it's like with Goldie, where he's talking about how he got a Porsche for signing with WCW. He's talking about how he went to Vince's house. <laughs> yeah, it's just him yammering on about nothing. Yep. <laughs> it's great. Talking about how great he is and how Jeff sucks, but he cares for Jeff. So then the rest of the month is him being Jeff Jarrett's pal? <laughs> yeah, he wants to, like, be his best friend. I think part of it's because his other friends got kicked out of the company. Mm, yeah, Lawler and Flair are gone after the ladder match with Dusty, so Watts is there by himself. <laughs> it's kind of great. Is the next week the one where Watts has got the straight jacket? Uh, yes, that's the, the week where he's trying to beat up Raven on behalf of Jarrett. So, no, 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 no. He makes it abundantly clear that he doesn't want to beat up Raven. He just wants to put him in the straitjacket and talk to him. (laughs) He wants to have a sit down, have a chat with Raven to try and sort all of this stuff out with Jeff. Jeff. And there's a great uh, portion of it where uh, Watts walks up and confronts Jeff, who has the NWA title over his shoulder, obviously. And he walks up to him and just goes, hey, nice title. I got one as well. That is the best line of Watts of the month. I did enjoy that. Which, of course, and you can tell that at this point, Jeff has kind of gone past the what stuff, because he's so focused on Raven, because he just goes, that boy's going to get himself killed, and it might be the best thing for him. <laughs> so then, Watts does indeed go hunting Raven. Yes, meets him backstage in Raven's little pervert bathroom mm, nest. Where he has a bunch of candles on the um, floor. 
And of course, because he spent the entire show asking everyone where Raven is and confirming that he was going after Raven, Raven was just waiting for him. <laughs> so the minute he opened the door, Raven jumps him and beats the hell out of him, which gives Jared the opportunity to make the run in. Uh, so yeah, he, he puts Eric Watts in the, the straitjacket gathering beat him up and it's it's quite a fun bit too where the camera lingers on the ring a little too long like they didn't cut to the pack quick mm. enough and you see eric roll out of the ring and just go throw up his hands and go huh <laughs> as he walks away <laughs> that's confirming uh and finalizing the eric watts face turn to me you liked this eric watts stuff a lot more than i did <laughs> It's just fun. He's a fun weirdo. You know, he did the same thing as Brian Lawler, where it's like, I didn't like Lawler because he was a boring, generic guy. And then he just decided to be a crazy weirdo. And I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm in. Fair enough. I thought he was still cringy and really annoying for the month. You just don't have taste. Listen, I enjoy Brian Lawler shoot-punching fans in the face. That's the fight I'm getting bored with. Eric Watts wearing his goofy jackets, just doing bad promos and acting like a goon. Not, not so much. He's Baron Corbin. He's not Baron Corbin. He has, he has more personality than Baron Corbin. He has Corbin. the exact Bar- amount of Baron personality than Baron Corbin. No, has. that's not true at all. That's not true at all. Uh, so that is Eric Watts. We'll, we'll pivot now to the Raven and Jarrett stuff for the month, which is the biggest point of the month, of course. It's the biggest match in TNA history to this point. Raven challenging Jeff Jarrett for the NWA title. They do spend the entire month building to the match, which is very un-TNA-like in this era. How, like, badly do you think... Russo wanted to hotshot this. He probably just wanted to, like, because the, I think they planned to do it earlier, but then Raven took that last show of March off because he couldn't stop bleeding. So they did D-Lo, but they, like, they did pretty early in the month announce that they're doing Jarrett and Raven on the 30th. I think they announced it on the second show of the month, on the April 9th show. So, like, the, maybe if he had full control at that stage, I don't think he had full control until later in the month. He probably would have done it earlier, but I think they did announce it and they did commit to when they did it and they built to it. I don't think... What did you think of the build that Jarrett and Raven? I didn't love it, Mm. but also it was at least somewhat coherent in that it followed a story structure. I think this was an important month for Raven's character because we got the formation of the gathering and um, we got the transition of let's pre-tape his stuff so it doesn't go so rambly. (laughs) Yeah, because the first show of the month, Raven has what is... Ends up actually being a pretty good promo. It ends up arguably being his best promo. Yeah, but it starts as legitimately one of the worst promos I've ever seen on a wrestling show. So he's sitting there in his yes. perch with goalie locks, and he's about to—he's doing his regular stuff, uh, and he's about to go into one of his long-winded, stupid like tangents about something nonsense. <laughs> and then some guy in the crowd's like, "Fuck you!" Right no, it's, it's even better. He forgets it. He—he <laughs> he completely forgets what he was going to talk about. He's like. Goldie, I have so many ideas. You can't even understand. It's like, they just all go through my head and I don't understand what's happening. Please do it in the voice. Goldie, you, you just don't understand what's going through my brain. Because I forgot my lines and I'm trying to pause for time here, Goldie. Yeah, and then I guess someone in the crowd shouts something. Hey, fuck you, Yeah, Raven. they're like, you suck, Raven. It's like, how dare you interrupt me? I'm trying to say something very important here and you're interrupting me. And then he gets, like, sad. He's like, come on, man. I'm, I'm trying to do my promo here. Yeah. And then he starts talking about Nashville. And it's like, you people in Nashville, you're lowly people. He can't even come up with an insult for the people of Nashville. And then he gets frustrated. And he stands up and he snatches the mic. And he just cuts a promo. He's like, Jared, this is my destiny. I'm going to win the title. I'm a cool guy. And it's like, yes, yes. 
Just do that all the time, Raven. You do not need your freaking fake poetry gibberish. You do not need your fake Bray Wyatt nonsense. You just cut a promo. You're a good promo. Stop doing your bullshit. Yeah, because he, he just started talking his shit and it was fantastic. Yeah, the promo's on our Twitter. If you want to go to TNA History Pod, scroll down a little, you'll find it. It's it's like, it, it thoroughly sums up Raven's first three months in TNA in that you get the flowery nonsense that says nothing and he completely loses track of it. He doesn't care. Uh, and then he gets flustered and just cuts a promo as Raven and it rules. It's just like, yes, that is what we have been asking for this entire time, Raven. We just want you to be yourself. Yeah, and then we get the gathering. Yeah, so Raven forms the gathering, which is Julio De Niro and Alexis Lurie. Alexis Lurie, better known as Mickey James. That's uh, his gathering. No, uh, to me, she's better known as Alexis Lurie. Well, yes. I've only watched NWA TNA. (laughs) You know nothing of hardcore country. You just know Alexis Lurie. Even though you gave out to me last week. He's like, can we just call her Mickey James? I think yeah, but now I'm 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 thoroughly gathering build mm. and I'm in. So yeah, Raven beats Kid Cash after which Trinity bails. Oh no, it's it's the week before actually. It's the Trinity and Alexis a rematch. Yeah, where Raven does his cool gimmick of just walking into the ring mid match and sitting in the corner, which I do enjoy. He does it a couple times this month where he literally just walks to the ring and sits there. Like, as the match is doing. Yeah, Larie and Trinity still doing their match, which is pretty good match, fair enough. Like. It was much better than the tag effort the week before. It is probably the best women's match in TNA history, which isn't saying much because there's been like three of them. So yeah, Trinity won that match. After the match, Raven DDT Trinity as Cash ran away. We'll talk about the Cash and Trinity stuff in a minute. And just grabs Larry by the hair and pulls her. It's not even by the hair. She, he just like grabs her hand and leads her away. And she's like, I guess I'm going with you. <laughs> she didn't fight her very much. And then I guess he works quickly because in the span of like an hour, he turns mm. <laughs> It's a fun note that he did, by all accounts, recommend uh, uh, Larry to come in for the role. So it's Raven's personal choice. That sounds like another one of his stupid matches. But he he was using Trinity as a valet on some indies, but they didn't want to turn Trinity heel, so they're like, take Larry. Yeah, and you know what? Rest is history. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. So then it takes a couple of weeks until the NWTNA baby number 41, April 16th, where Raven starts the show with Julio and Alexis in the perch and announces them as his new flock, The Gathering. Yeah, flock you, <laughs> as the shirt says. <laughs> Which, honestly, that's pretty good. Good bird puns. And also good pun based on the WCW stable. Yes. You would forget... Because he's a like, bird. Raven was like a legit star in WCW. Yeah, well, you know... The, well, he was on the cover of the video game. Which is a fun story in its own right, and just like the director of the game liked Raven. <laughs> just put him on the cover of the game. Imagine that. Hey, I knew that story. I set you up for it. It's like, what if the person in, in charge of W2K22 just liked Akira Tozawa and decided to put him on the cover <laughs> of the game? I think it'd be more like if he liked Sami Zayn and got him on the, you know what I mean? No. But yeah, like you, you do forget that Raven was a like legitimate star. He was yeah. all over television in like ninety eight, ninety nine, WCW. Like he was a guy who was featured in programs constantly with Perry Saturn, with uh, Chris Canyon, with DDP, with Chris Benoit. So Raven is a guy who was seen on television by a lot of people and was a pushed entity in one of the biggest wrestling companies in the world for a while. So he's he's a big star, I guess, and doing some flop nostalgia makes some degree of sense. And it's uh, you know reinvented for the for the 2003 audience so that show was main evented by Jarrett demands doing a clockwork orange house of fun match he wants to do it with raven <laughs> it's 
so dope though, isn't it? Because halfway through that show, he's just in the back of a truck and Goldie's like, what are you doing? And he has gloves on and he's just throwing everything out and he's just screaming for like, where did you put all the stuff from the last one? I want it. Give it to me. He's throwing like fences and boxes and wooden boards out of this truck trying to put together his own little clockwork orange house of fun. And yet later in the show, it's the one where Eric Watts walks up to him. He's like giving out to the production crew. It's like, you guys know how to put it together. You've put it together before. Yeah great so yeah he, uh, he does put together his own clockwork orange house a fun match uh, raven does not come out to face him instead julio de Nero and alexis Ari come out to face him and he beats the shit out which is at least notable that it makes mickey james the first woman to main event of a tna show yeah, so th- this match is at least historically important in a way she's a a, a fitting name to get that distinction mm. and she won <laughs> yeah she won the first the first time there was a woman in the main event of a TNA show. They won. Beating the world champion. Mickey should, like, be, uh, bring that up <laughs> in 2021 Impact and get a shot. Cutting promos. Because, like, the, the knockouts and knockouts t- uh, tag titles have been recently, like, they've been given world title distinction in Impact. So they're called knockouts world title and knockouts mm. world tag team titles. That should be the, the reason. She's like, in my first main event, I beat the world champion Jeff Jarrett. Therefore, this is the knockouts world championship. She should also bring back Julio. Yeah. And Punk. Julio and Punk should show up on Impact as the gathering with Mickey James. But Mickey James is the leader now. And Punk is just treated like a goon on Impact TV. He's the Julio. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they, they bizarrely... I don't know why they win the match. I don't know why Jared can't just beat Julio and Alexis Ari, but here we are. Yeah, like, he should have just won this. And it would have made more sense for the story too. Yeah, like he, like but... Raven comes out, DDTs him, and they win. So he doesn't. They don't win. Well, technically, it is clean. And then Raven lays him out to end the show. Like it should have just been Jarrett wins, and then Raven comes out and DDTs him. That that should have been the angle. Yeah, it's also very funny to note that like Julio getting this whole spot just because he was there one time, and Jimmy Yang didn't want to work a match with Raven. Yeah, because Jimmy Yang is like, I don't want to sign a contract because it would uh, preclude me from working elsewhere for a period. So I don't want to work this match against Raven. So they're like, uh, you there, Julio, is it? You're in this match. Who, Leo? <laughs> that does create history. History is changed by just yeah. happenstance. And now he's in the gathering. Beating the NWA champion in the main event of an Impact Bay. It's worked out pretty well for Julio. This is probably the highlight of his career. Yeah, good gathering run. So April 23rd, the go-home show, basically, for the big Jarrett and Raven match. Raven promises a surprise for Jeff. That surprise turns out to be Team Extreme assisting Raven. The mother of all bombs. Yes. Bigger than Hiroshima. A a bunch of people who we will not name because technically it spoils other stories of the month. So you have to wait for later in the show to find out who is in this Team Extreme. But Raven does get the help of Team Extreme to take out Jarrett to lay him out to end that show. And the Raven has all his old ECW pals killing people. Um, in a pretty, like, vicious and cool angle, too. Uh, wrapping Jared up in the, the straight jacket, hanging him on the ropes, tying him up with barbed wire, and just going to town on him with Singapore canes. Yeah, there is an interesting note in, in the, the show notes that they wanted that angle to be even more extreme. It was Russo and Raven's idea that they wanted to hang him from the ceiling. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each 
one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing, you know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good, and Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying... Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network wow big age of the fall vibes yeah huh? but that was uh vetoed and Jarrett wanted to kill all the ecw guys as well at one stage also vetoed so they just beat the shit out of them yeah I mean, I thought it was a pretty cool angle and came off pretty well. Mm. So that brings us to the final show of the month where Jeff Jarrett and Raven finally went face-to-face. They did everything they could, like, before that match to make the match seem like a big deal. Oh, boy. I just saw all the notes for the main event. There is literally, like, two pages of notes on the main event. There's a, a, a lot that went down <laughs> behind the scenes around this Raven and Jarrett match. We'll talk, Let's we'll go. talk about the match itself first. Like, they did everything they could to make this match seem like a big deal. They did a video package for Jarrett. They did a video package for Raven. They had all the roster predict who they thought was going to win between Jarrett and Raven. They did, like, everything they could. And, like, this was the biggest show in TNA history. Like, Dave Meltzer estimates, like, it probably generated another 80,000 on average more than the average TNA pay-per-view does. They had to turn away 1,100 fans. It was a 1,400 sellout. They had to turn away 1,100. That's how many people showed up. Still, a majority of which was papered. Which is bizarre that they have like a, a match that at least twenty five hundred people want to show up to, but I'd imagine only a few hundred paid for. But nonetheless, they did have a full asylum. It is undeniably the biggest match in TNA history to this point. We had like a couple of big title matches. We had the Jarrett and Killings match and the Jarrett and Styles match that felt like big title matches. Still, neither of them felt as big as this. This felt like a pay per view main event. Yeah, this, this felt like a legitimate like two biggest stars in the company facing for the title and where uh, reasonably both guys could have won yeah i i didn't know which guy won i came into this completely blind and 
was surprised when Jarrett retained. Yeah, so Jarrett retains in a, I think, very good match. I went a little higher on this match than you. I really loved it. I thought this match was like kind of the epitome of a big-ass American uh, title main event epic deal with like all your run-ins that you'd expect because it's TNA. 13 but, people um, if you're pay- counting. 13 run-ins. <laughs> oh. But they were stables, so it makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, I, I really like this a lot. I um, Big kick-outs, big spots, um, good storytelling from all the stuff that led up to it. You had uh, even the callbacks to the sex stuff and them interfering in it as well. You had the callbacks to the Disciples of the New Church who were like, uh, feuding with everyone in sex and Team Extreme at this point, and they came out and saved Jarrett. Not because they liked Jarrett, but because they hated the mm-hmm. other guys. Yeah, I, and of course we got the big return in the middle of the match. Indeed. We, we had a lot of lights out this month. We had two of them. Uh, we'll talk about them when we talk about the, the, the extreme new church stuff. But yeah, lights go out. And finally, Liam, we get our lights out Sabu moment. Actually, I think it's the second lights out Sabu moment we've had in DNA history. But yes. still, in a month where we had two other lights out ECW stars showing up. Two disappointing ones. <laughs> we do finally get lights out. Sabu shows up. He runs off the uh, team extreme, leaving it just down to Jarrett and Raven. And then we get a very awkward actually, moment around Jarrett and Raven and some handcuffs. This is actually the fourth lights out because one guy got the lights out yes. twice. <laughs> Jarrett was tied in handcuffs by Team Extreme. Then Bill Barons ran out with a master key. Rudy Charles couldn't open the handcuffs, so Raven opened the handcuffs. I like that Raven at least brought it back into the storyline context mm. by, like, egging him on after he did it. Because, like, in his mind, he's like, this guy's already dead. Did you see what just happened to him? He got the shit kicked out of him. I hit him with a chair, like, three times. Yeah, all my boys beat him up. They hit him with super kicks either side of the chairs, and then he hits him with the Raven effect. In like, that was a killer spot. Yeah, and they did their, all, their cool pose. Kind of a... A double concerto super kick. Yeah, they all hit their pose in the middle of the ring. It was good stuff. I, I, yeah, I really like this match. This is like this is a match I would recommend if you haven't seen. Go back and see just for context. So yeah, uh, Raven hits the Raven effect. Jared kicks out. Raven goes for another one. Jared reverses into a stroke. Hits it. Retains the NWA World Title. Yeah, went four and a quarter on this. I really. I went three it. seven five. It is a very very good. It's uh, it's a, the, probably one of the better examples of the Jeff Jared formula. And to be fair, we said that about the AJ title match as well, and that's probably true. These, like, these these two title matches, like D'Lo, bad example of Jeff Jarrett formula. Raven and Styles, good example of Jeff Jarrett formula. It'll be very curious to see when this formula grows tired on me. But for right now, I don't mind it. So, four and a quarter. So there was a lot of backstage drama surrounding this match. <laughs> Alright, let's, let's, let's dig in. We have many notes. There was a bit of a saga around Sabu coming in, because Sabu rejected TNA's most recent request to return to the company. They asked Scott Demore to kind of mediate between the two of them, and uh, Sabu said no. According to newest reports, Sabu was unwilling to talk to Bob Ryder and use several expletives while telling him he would only talk to Jarrett. TNA wanted uh, him to be involved with this team, this team Extreme story. Then, whatever happened, he probably did talk to Jarrett, they they came to terms, he showed up. But Sabu had a torn bicep at this time, but still showed up and just did all the spots and did a, a freaking double jump dive. And also landing on a woman in the crowd. Mm. Oh yeah, that's that, 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 that's another part of this. Yes, indeed. Sabu, when he did his run-in, he, he ran through the crowd, he just leapt over the guardrail, landed on a woman. So Sabu landed on a female fan while attempting to leapfrog from the guardrail to exit the building. He was so concerned for the fan that he stopped and briefly broke character while checking on her. The fan was said to be shaken up but did not suffer any serious injuries. Sabu credited the woman for taking a better bump than he does while discussing the situation backstage, according to PW Torch. 
at least ECW guys, like, they're just more concerned about the fans than they are anything Well, else. this is the second month in a row that we've had one of them doing something stupid and then a fan getting hurt, so it's less than ideal. Yeah, they should have cut away from that way quicker, because they could have kept it on him as he was checking on it. But at least he yeah, checked he on it. He did kill a woman while jumping over the rail, but she seemed to be fine. So, we've talked about the power struggle between Russo, who has the likes of Gilberti, Sanders, Satter, and Raven in, in his camp, and Jarrett. By all accounts, this was where it came to a head, because Raven's contract with TNA was up on April 30th. Oh boy. <laughs> so, TNA office workers claim a compromise was reached in a struggle between Jarrett and Russo last week. Things came to a head during the April 30th shows. Apparently, the Russo camp and even some Jarrett defenders were in favor of putting the NWA title on Raven, but that didn't really work because Raven wouldn't have a contract. There were some reports that Russo quit and walked out of the building at one point in the evening, but cooler heads prevailed. Russo was backstage by showtime. Just do it. Just leave. Just leave. <laughs> Let him leave as well. If someone was like, bro, Raven needs the win, bro. You should be losing here, bro. I'm quitting. It's like, okay, bye. Don't come back. Just don't come back. Also that he'd go to like freaking quitting power plays for that kind of stuff. It seems a little petulant. It does. So they come to the the, the consensus that Russo will be in the, the office more and be more involved in the like putting together of stories. Oh, yeah. There's still some problems, but apparently like Jeff is dealing with this pretty well that he's like not given into Russo's bullshit. Well, Je- Jeff is becoming a real leader. I assume is a sentiment that stays throughout Teenage's entire mm. history. The Jarrett's have been trying to send a message to Raven by saying that the company will only invest in wrestlers who commit to the company because Raven uh, did not want to sign a long-term deal. We'll talk about perhaps the reasons why uh, in a moment. But there was a column from JB, from the inside column that he publishes weekly on the TNA website. TNA officials have let it be known that the magic word from here on out is commitment. The company will commit to those who do so in return on all levels, plain and simple. That was a statement put out in the company website. That rules. I was going to say, I like that they just do insider shit on their website. Yeah, they're working angles all the time because Raven's contract, as mentioned, was up. He had never signed a long-term deal and resisted signing a long-term deal. Uh, he'd been working shows on a per-show basis. Like, there's some debate about whether or not Raven winning the title depended on him signing a contract, but the consensus appears to be that Jarrett was retaining it regardless anyway. Wait, so, like, did Raven want to win the belt without signing the contract? Well, it's an interesting note, because we talk about Red this month, who did win the X title as well, which we'll talk about when we get the X in a moment. But Red had to sign a multi-show uh, deal. He, Red was also working, like, on a show-to-show deal, and he had to sign a multi-show deal before they'd let him uh, win the X belt. I don't know, seems fair. So there's people who believe that Jarrett uses, used Raven's contract status as an excuse not to drop the title. There's all these kind of political things going on backstage. It's good fun. Yeah, this is why we're here, you know? We're not here for nothing happening backstage. So the big reason that he was working for about a grand a show and he wanted 1500 Like, uh, Jarrett makes 3000 a show, but he works as more than just a wrestler. <laughs> Dusty makes 1500 yeah. so he's the highest paid, like, just wrestler. And Raven wanted Dusty money. I mean, I don't know. He's kind of the biggest name on the show at the moment. And he, he probably has a very good bargaining hand at this particular point because this is the biggest match in TNA history. As mentioned, the, there is an estimated 80 grand of extra revenue because of this match. You saw about 2,500 people showing up to the asylum to try and see this match. I'd imagine it probably did their best pay-per-view buy rate maybe in a very long time, maybe ever. So Raven can be like, I'm a draw here. Give me my money. That's always the dilemma. It's like, if stars want to pull star shit, they better actually be stars who make money for mm-hmm. the company. 
And, um, you know, if you're drawing that kind of stuff, you can probably give the man his extra two grand a month. The Observer has some, like, fun, uh, what other people were paid notes. When Sean Maltman and Scott Hall were in, they were making two grand each, but Scott Hall in the early days was making 7500 per show. <laughs> that is some big boy money right there. BG James was making two grand, but agreed to cut it to a grand before he quit. Before, because as we mentioned last month, they wouldn't give his dad a fifty buck pay rise. So, like we know, Raven doesn't go away. So this is sorted out. Raven is there for another freaking four years. So and comes back a couple times. Does he sign? Uh, I would imagine so. Like to a deal. Curious. So I'm sure we'll talk about that more in weeks and months to come. But yes, a lot of backstage drama surrounding this Jarrett-Raven match about contracts expiring and power struggles between Vince Russo and Jeff Jarrett. Mm. But the match was good. Yeah. And that's all that matters. Uh, Actually, to be fair, in this company, (laughs) that's one of the least things that matters. Let's get more into the dirt. So that is all the Jarrett-Raven stuff, which will bring us to the Extreme Revolution stuff, Liam. There's... A moment in this match, or in this month, where Mike Tanay is talking a commentary, and he's like, "We have TNA Extreme," and it's clear this month that they are doing like an an active, conscious pivot toward hardcore stuff. Yeah, which is an interesting choice because, like, you don't really know who's backstage pitching for that. Well, I guess it's we have Raven here, and there was like a knock-on effect from Raven showing up because Raven led the Sandman, Sadman led the Saturn, Saturn led to. As the people mentioned this show, there's a bunch more showing up. So it's basically, we had one and like the dominoes fell. Because we did mention it when we were doing our 2002 year in review for TNA. That like, there wasn't a ton of hardcore extreme stuff. There was like the dub cup and some silliness. Because like, the hardcore stuff isn't really Russo's MO. And it's not really Jared's MO Mm. either. So I guess the only really person of any significant power here that you can relate this to is Raven. Raven's getting all his his pal's jobs. And uh, like... For a while, it does bring a new and fresh flavor to the show, so it's 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 welcome for a while until they immediately run it into the ground. Yeah, like it feels like the last month it was uh, a fine reprieve from the boring stuff that was on the main event stuff, but now it's a little overblown. And I don't know, maybe some people, maybe you liked the the wacky stipulations every week, but I just thought they were kind of dumb. I liked one of them, and then I thought they jumped the shark, but we'll get into it. So April 2nd, we have a fun segment where, if you'd remember, the new church helped out Saturn and Sandman last last month where they faced sex in that uh, sadistic madness match. So uh, on on the first show of the month, James Mitchell shows up to Saturn and Sandman because they're in a six-man tag on the show against uh, Daniels and the Harris Bros. And they're like, listen, guys, I return my favors. I I may be a devil, but I'm an honorable one. So uh, take Brian Lee. Or take Slash, and you can have him in the match. And then Saturn and Sandman are like, nah, we got it. And it's like, what do you mean you got it? We had a deal. I'm, I'm a man of my word. And like, no, it's fine. We got it. And Mitchell is so furious about this slight that they feud for the entire month. They also go like, uh, we, got, we, got, we got our own guy. Like, we got extreme blood. That's the theme throughout this entire month is extreme mm. blood. <laughs> There's a lot of extreme blood on these shows. So in that match in which Sandman and Saturn face the Harris Bros and Daniels, their partner is New Jack. Yes. Fuck. Yes. Big New Jack making his TNA debut. He does two balcony dives this month. Well, one is more of a balcony fall. And cuts arguably the best skit style promo we've had since Puppet and uh, jacking off in a... And they get even better as the, 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 we go into the later months of TNA where... New Jack shows his comedy side, which is good fun. 
Yeah, uh, New Jack's a great personality, and I am very happy to see him here. In the because, game. as you mentioned, in that promo, he's he's sitting backstage, he's playing chess with the Sandman. This is like something that was so good that both of us clipped it and <laughs> gifted it and posted it. So they're playing chess, and Goldilocks walks up to them. It's like, hey guys, you have a match later. How do you feel? And the Sandman's like, can't you see we're playing chess? We're in the middle of a game, Goldie. And then he gets a little misogynist. To be, yeah. yeah, don't worry about it. But then, <laughs> then New Jack cuts his promo where he's like, I'm not here to win matches. I don't care about winning matches. <laughs> I don't care about belts. If I win a belt, I'll go on yeah, porn. My entire thing being here, the sole reason I'm in TNA is to find the highest point and jump off of it. Fuck yeah. So yes, in this match uh, at the start of the month, well, oh, you're you're blowing off the payoff to the segment, which is while New Jack's up and cutting this promo, he turns around and accuses Sandman of cheating because Sandman calls yeah. check and then flips the, the board. It's like, I paid my check. It's like no check is in the the chest move. It's like I'll check you. And flips the board. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And then Sandman responds by just bursting his beer over his head <laughs> as Goldie does her typical "Oh God!" freak out and her. Her snarl that she does in the back of every interview. Yes, Goldie, very strange. Like, you could just watch Goldie's facial expressions in an interview all day. It's it's a year of this, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's really taken a toll. So, Saturn, Sandman, and New Jack defeat the Harris Bros and Daniels. After that match, Mike Barton debuts at the Bart Gun of the Smoking Guns from the World Wrestling Federation, winner of Brawl for All, and beats up Perry Saturn. Uh, most famous for getting beaten up at WrestleMania. Mmm. So, April 9th, we have the Harris Bros against Sandman and New Jack and the New Church in Armed Asylum. Like, there are so many gimmick matches. What is Armed Asylum? Well, it's the same as Sadistic Madness, and it's the same as the Ultimate Sin match we have later in the month. It's just another name for a hardcore brawl. But they didn't give it any specific... No specifics this time. Yeah. I think this one is like Falls Count Anywhere. They fight all over the asylum. I think. Yeah. And there's weapons all throughout the asylum in different... But that seems to be... What happens every time, mm. anyway. This is also, of the matches they did this month, the one I liked. Yeah, I liked... I don't know, I liked the other one because it had a stupid gimmick. <laughs> they all had stupid gimmicks. Yeah, but the one with the actual, like, we're gonna barbed wire one corner <laughs> of the ring. So, yeah, I thought this one was just utter chaos, where, like, there was just tables, and tables refused to break. There's at least two bumps in, in this match where just somebody's dropped on a table and doesn't break. There's, like, four other table spots. Slash jumps off a balcony. New Jack jumps off a balcony. Slash is insane. Yeah. Slash bleeds on every show, multiple times. He's in two matches on one of these shows, and he bleeds twice. So... It's the same blood. He just doesn't clean it off. It's great. He, like, there is nobody who likes bleeding more than Slash. Maybe in wrestling history. He bleeds so much in TNA. And that's saying something with being a guy who's on the same show as mm. Raven. So, yeah, the, the Harris Bros win this match. The story of the match is that New Jack does a balcony dive. He drops Brian Lee through a table and now the drops. The story. It is the story. The story of the match is New Jack does a balcony dive. So he has left Sandman <laughs> on his own. And Sandman gets pinned by the Harris Bros. You know what? Fair enough. Turnabout's fair played the same, yeah. man. This is revenge for what he did to Steve Carino. Yeah, he's really not one to be able to be like, yo, you left me there. <laughs> there's a time that you just didn't show up for a match. Uh, there's a note in the PW Torch. Scott Demore's role backstage is said to be part agent, part production staff. One of his duties is to talk over the matches with the wrestlers and then take his notes to the production crew so that they know which specific spots to look for. And the main reason they, they did this uh, is because Perry Saturn in the match with Mike Sanders, you can clearly see him blading. So they're like, we need somebody in the truck who knows what's going to happen and knows, like, uh, cut away, he's going to cut himself. Mike Barton, not Mike Sanders, but yes. yes. Uh, my, my, yeah, my, Mike 
Sanders against Perry Saturn would have been a very different match. It could have been as bloody. To be <laughs> that honest. is very true. But we will go to that. It is Perry Saturn against Mike Barton, and Mike Barton's only appearance, uh, well, besides his only match, he doesn't appear after this. He's done. In honestly, like one of the most underrated matches in TNA history. <laughs> Just a, just a shoot it fight. It is a legit shoot fight where they're just punching each other, they're doing suplexes, they're throwing each other into steps, they're bleeding, they're doing more suplexes. Like, this match has an, an amazing story. So, you have to go check it out, by the way. Like, if you're listening to this, yeah, go watch it. Go straight, right there. NWA TNA uh, paper number 40, April 9th. Yeah, 40. Go watch Mike Barton against Perry Saturn. So, the story of the match is Mike Barton is wailing on Saturn. Saturn is bleeding. Saturn is struggling to compete. He's, like, falling all over the place. But every time Barton punches Saturn, Saturn's like, punch me again. And punch me again. And punch me again. And eventually, Barton punches Saturn in the head so much that Barton breaks his own hand. Perry Saturn does a little hip toss, grabs the hand, wrenches it in the other direction. Breaks it. And Barton taps out immediately. So, like, the story of the match is it's that Saturn awesome. is so resilient that he had Barton punch him in the head so often until Barton broke his own hand and then tapped him out. And the, like, the submission finish is so sick looking to Oh, yeah, it does look like he literally wrenches his wrist in the other direction. It's like, oh, God. Even without the whole breaking yeah, hand context, is... that probably would have been, a, like, a, a good submission finish. Yeah. This is tremendous. Because you don't get matches like this in TNA. You don't get, like, physical matches. You don't get shoot fights. But you also don't get matches that have that kind of deep, like, psychological story. The, you know, the the Saturn literally willing him to punch him until he breaks his hand. You don't get that kind of layer mm. in a lot of these TNA matches. It's because, like, you know, does Vince Russo give a shit about any of this kind of storytelling? No, no so you just get tables and, and like, good X Division matches, to be fair. But the, the X Division matches are a very different kind of wrestling. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, they're really going out there trying to tell a full match-long story mm. either. They're just like, let's do some cool spots that are cool. Yeah, whereas these guys, it's like, we're, we're going to go out there, tell a story, and beat the shit out of each other. Which, what more do you want in pro yeah. wrestling? <laughs> it's basically it, right? I'm very disappointed Mike Barton never comes back. I kind of like it. It's like he's this legend <laughs> that just came about and left his mark and, you know, never was seen again. Mm. And it is. It's Saturn's best match in TNA too. Definitely. Speaking of Saturn, he has a match the next month, or the next week, as he faces the new church's new guy. So James Mitchell is like, alright, I went out and I've gone extreme myself. So he brings in Mike Awesome to face Perry Saturn. Fuck Yes. God, this show rules now. <laughs> you get the debuting Mike Awesome joining the new church to fight against his extreme brethren. So he faces Saturn. Uh, they go to a DQ. Apparently Mike Awesome suffered a concussion admitted into the match and collapsed when he got backstage. So that's not good, but still. Uh, well, the most upsetting thing about this match is Mike Awesome sets up a table at ringside knowing his power on through it. We need, we need Spike Dully to come in at some point. Yeah, it's rectified later in the show, but still. He sets up a table and no one goes through the table. That's against the rules of Check pro wrestling. Table. If a table is introduced, it must be used. Yeah, it is the rule. But yeah, it's a it's a pretty good match. They mostly just do shoot throws. They throw each other around. It's fun. So later in the show, we do we get Sandman and uh, New Jack against the New Church in, in a match where Just Incredible makes his debut. Liam, I don't care about Just Incredible. <laughs> I just never was a guy that interested me. He was from an era of ECW that I didn't really invest much time into. The one thing I will appreciate about Just Incredible is his commitment to the bit by wearing an Uncle Cracker shirt in this mm-hmm. debut, which obviously, Garrett, you know, 
from X Factor fans. Yes, definitely. You know, you're dealing with the X Factor. I give you everything you ever wanted and I'll never get that back. Do you know yes. all the lyrics Bang to the song. X Factor Everyone, theme? If I had it with me, I could sing along, but I don't know them off <laughs> no. the top of my head. It's disappointing. But yes, uh, absolute good reference there from Just Incredible. That's about it. I don't care for the dude very much. As we just we were talking about on the old um, the watch along, which you can go listen to at teenagehead.com. It must suck for him to be the other ECW guy who has the Kendo mm-hmm. stick. That's just that's a bad position to be in to get over. But yeah, you know he's here. He does do some good stuff with Jerry Lynn in TNA that you can look forward to. Um, yeah, like this thing I've never like doubted. He's like he's always been a good like mid card work mm. guy, but I don't know. He's not the most interesting debut this month. So yeah, New Church beat Sandman and New Jack after Mike Awesome shows up and power bombs New Jack through a table. To the floor, by the way. So good stuff. Fuck yeah. Well, you know New Jack's ain't a bitch. He's gonna take that but shit. Yeah, uh, Lights went out for New Jack's debut in the first show of the month. Lights went out for Justin Credible's debut here. So building the, the the Lights Out Sabu showing up. And um, Lights Out next month. As well. next for Justin well. Credible again. <laughs> Yes, which is like, they did it, the crowd reacted, it turned back on, and they're yeah. like, oh. So Justin, Justin Gravel, he did, like, Justin Gravel did get a good reaction for his first debut. Yeah, but like, you can't do it mm. again. This is like when AEW was running it every week. Uh, it's my favorite thing when um, Malachi Black comes out every week, his light, the lights go out, and every yeah. week there's like a, oh, pop, and I don't think it's for Malachi Black, it's because who's going to show up? No, it's just Malachi Black. Yeah, but then, but then Malachi Black comes up, and the pop sustains. So, like, people don't go, like, oh, they go, oh, okay, it's Malachi. As opposed to the period where the lights went out for Sean Spears' entrance, and then it's like, oh. Or the Butcher and the Blades debut. Yeah. Like, I get why you do it. The lights out gimmick is fucking awesome. But, you know, you have to save it. And we have TNA pay-per-view number 42, April 23rd. Saturn, New Jack, and Sandman defeat the New Church and Awesome in the Ultimate Sin match. Yeah, I like this one. This one was fun. This one was the one where I was like, all right, I- I've had enough of this. <laughs> Fair enough. I probably um this is the one that I went back to after having a break of it so maybe that because oh, you watched most of these shows like two weeks ago and then the rest like yesterday didn't you? Uh yeah, so I got to come back in for this one fresh as opposed to watching all these back to back and just being like stop doing crowd brawls. See that's me when I'm watching it and I'm like stop having Brian Lawler wrestle or Brian James wrestle or anyone to stop doing this like. Memphis heat matches, please. So yeah, Saturn, New Jack, and Sandman won the match. They they were doing a bunch of stuff. Just Incredible showed up. Uh, he he. The the thing was they had a bat on a pole, wasn't it? Or on the top of the ladder? Yeah, it was a bat. Yeah, it was on top of the ladder. It was the kendo on top of the, <laughs> which was a great line from James Mitchell when he's like, uh, Sandman, <laughs> I know you and your <laughs> wife have been talking about a vasectomy, <laughs> and because uh, the, to get the the Singapore cane, you had to risk the barbed mm. wire. But uh, Justin Credible shows up on the ladder, hits someone, probably Slash, let's just assume. Slash with the kendo stick, climbs up, grabs the bat, and does a brutal bat shot off of the ladder. Yeah, he like a jumping bat shot. And like, that was one of those things where I was like, that has to be like a worked bat. That has to be like a plastic one, because that would have like caved I don't know, thing. James Mitchell in his promo was talking about how this is real barbed wire, not WCW barbed wire, so I think it's a real bat. <laughs> That'd be funny, it's like, yeah, we use real barbed wire, but mm. a fake bat, come on. Even Mike Tanay repeats that on commentary, it's like, this ain't no WCW barbed wire. I don't know, there was such a WCW barbed wire controversy. <laughs> Them using their fake barbed wire. But th- there's a note, the PW Torch actually, I-, I didn't include it in the notes, where there there was like, oh, Jarrett realized you can't do the lights out some- for somebody showing up for the second time. <laughs> yeah. Justin Crabble should just run out. You don't need to turn the lights off. 
Well, it was good payoff because you paid it off in the the Raven match. Mm. You know what? You're right. To be fair, it is like, oh, another ECW guy is going to show up. Because actually, they wanted Johnny Grunge as well as part of this angle, but he turned them down because Rock or Rock had recently passed away. And didn't they have like some sort of, we don't want to go there Mm. deal? They want nothing to do with TNA. This is also the fun Russo moment. Oh, yeah. Where where James Mitchell is describing the rules of the Ultimate Sin match and Russo was accidentally in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Was he describing the rules or was he just talking to Goldie? No, it was both. He was backstage with with Goldie explaining the rules of the Ultimate Sin. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They did like, because they did like the video like hype for it and then they did the recap kind of talking. It's like, well, what are the rules of the. Because they're like, we have an Ultimate Sin match tonight. We'll have James Mitchell tell you the rules in a minute. And then just you see Vince pop his head out like, (laughs) woo. Uh, and then the last part of the month there's a, a little infighting in sex the story of the last show of the month is that basically sex is jealous of raven's use of the team extreme is what they're now going by the group of saturn sandman new jack and uh just incredible raven's not technically in the group the group are helping raven yeah and then they got pissed because raven goes yeah to so them. raven goes to them and they're arguing with sex and sex is jealous thinking raven's abandoning them for the, his old extreme pals and they have a bit of an argument in the last show of the month so we'll see where that goes well uh, at the very least they show up help raven sabu shows up runs them off and we'll pick this up in may yeah we got the the four-way tag match that uh, where they kind of work together towards the end yeah well it is sex amw harris bros and the extreme guys new, yeah it was sad incredible harris brothers amw and new church and towards the end the harris brothers kind of help Saturn incredible mm. get the win so sex and the extreme guys are kind of getting along or will they who knows it's a will they won't they yeah the majority of the debuts this month did feature all of the extreme guys so yeah just incredible you had new jack you had well mike barton but feuding with saturn and you had mike awesome all showing up making their debuts and the return of sabu of course which is much welcomed (laughs) wonderful pants on that oh yeah nice aqua blue good stuff good gear where are we going to next? The Let's X head to the X Division, which was highlighted for, for most of the month by a feud between Kid Cash and Trinity. But to be honest, pretty good feud. Yeah, so like the 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 whole crux is that Trinity is basically tar- attracted in an abusive relationship with Kid Cash. Well, not the start. It oh, starts yeah. with the, the Trinity against Alexis for the rematch, where Raven shows up and DDTs Trinity, and Kid Cash is just like standing there. And he's like, uh, d- uh, no, I don't want any part of this. Yeah, which is like a constant theme throughout, and um, because we should, even though that that's the main point, we also get the Cash uh, Lin match on that show. Yes, indeed, where a a masked luchador shows up to help Kit Cash retain the title, as opposed to Trinity because she got killed by a DDT. Wow, two X Division storylines in the same month. How will we ever be able to? Go well, this? they are the same story. So. <laughs> Mm. As illustrated by the last show of the month. The the next week, Mike Tanae has a sit-down interview with Trinity talking about all her, you know, her stunt work and how she got into wrestling. And then Kid Cash shows up and starts controlling Trinity. And she's like, oh, I don't want you talking to this Mike Tanae guy. He keeps calling it the Mike Tanae <laughs> show. And I'm like, that's not what it's called. He has a show. It's called The Interrogators. This is just his regular interviews. Oh, we didn't get any interrogators. We did. We got Dusty's. Oh, yes, we did get those. But like, you know, we didn't get one every week, which I felt like we were on a good Yeah, run we on. only got one Dusty one. Where's my Eric Watts interrogators where he doesn't answer any questions? <laughs> well, you got the mic to Eric Watts sit-down interview. What do you want? An interrogators episode. If there's anyone who can crack through the veneer of Eric Watts, it's the interrogators. <laughs> like, the dusty one was highlighted by WCW, and then he made a fart sound with his mouth. <laughs> Dusty's so great, but we'll get to that. This is a very good dusty month. But yes, the story there being Cash is controlling Trinity. Trinity then bails on Kid Cash as Cash faces Raven. Yeah, sick of that shit. Not a very good match between Cash and Raven there. 
Mm, yeah, which is kind of mm. sad. So the following week, Kid Cash is defending the X Division title against Mike Sanders. But before the match, he calls out Trinity and he apologizes to Trinity. And he's like, I'm sorry, I was a giant jerk. I was an asshole. I understand. I like the, the, the because the way this plays out, Cash retains the belt over Sanders with help from Trinity. And then the Harris Bros lay out Trinity as Cash is just like, oh, I don't want anything to do with this. He just kind of like gives a shrug and walks <laughs> yeah, off. As the Harris Bros hit her with a giant H-bomb. It was a good um, swerve because like with how inconsistent this show is, she could believe that Cash and Trinity just get back on the same page on this show. I did quite like when she accepted the, uh, the apology, they then hit their pose. And it's like, ah, that's the, that's the sign yeah. they're back together. They're friends again. But I... Is that their cool pose, though? The cool pose was when she went through mm. the leg. I, I, I equally quite liked that Kid Cash has an X-Division championship match against Mike Sanders. And he's like, fuck, I need to get Trinity back at my side. I can't beat Mike Sanders. But to be fair, he didn't really beat anyone without Trinity for the last two months. Which is so. the story, I guess. So, yeah, Cash retains the title. Uh, Trinity is killed by the Harris Bros. Then the next week, Trinity, uh, Cash is like, I own you, Trinity. I own you. <laughs> it really diverts. So Cash uh, states that TNA doesn't have the contract with Trinity. He does. I assume he bought it from Quiet Storm. Here we called New York Nobody. Trinity shows up and challenges Cash to a match. And yeah. and then how does Kid Cash respond to this? How does Kid Cash respond to this? Isn't this where he slaps the shit well, out yeah, of they it? have a full match. Yeah, but like he, like, she's like, let's have a match, right? And then he just like fucking palms her across the face as hard well, as he can. Well, she challenged him to a match. What more can she expect? Wow. <laughs> you know, I didn't even have to like start the <laughs> this character for you. This one was just all God you. God damn it. I do myself no favors. But yes, Tr- Trinity beats Kid Cash in a fun little match. Yeah, she should have won the X. Yeah, it was a non-title. It should have been an X title match. Can we please talk about this note? For oh it? yes, Kid Cash received medical treatment following his match with Trinity. He suffered what TNA officials are hoping are was temporary hearing loss when Trinity slapped one of his ears. Yo, so I can now do a direct comparison to Trinity and Homicide. Mm. Both two people who have caused hearing loss. Utter shooters whose slaps are so powerful they cause temporary hearing loss. Or in, well, Homicide's case, permanent. In that, but... um, in that great Kingston punk promo from Rampage, I wish Kingston was like, guys like, Homicide, Samoa Joe, Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> and Trinity did come up in that New Yorker. She talks about it in the interview. She was trained by Amazing Red, so. There you go. She would perfectly fit in in that promo. But once New Jack got wind of that Cash's in- injury... He spent a lot of time ribbing him over the need for medical treatment after being slapped by a woman. Cash and Trinity have been dating yeah, off camera. Yeah, follow-up note. Although they've been trying to keep, keep it a secret, it's well known that Cash and Trinity have been dating off camera. They do have good sexual chemistry. Which seems to be a, a common theme on these shows, with my OTP be getting confirmed to me this week. Your what? My one true pairing. What's, your, on. what's your one true pairing? Desire and Sunny Siaki, who I have, who we confirmed have had a child. Uh, yes, so you have all the the TNA couples coming together for you. So we will pivot away from Cash for a moment because uh, we have more exhibition stuff to cover. The week before, I think, or was it the week before that? When was that? Oh no, it's two weeks before. On the April 9th show, NWTNA pay-per-view number forty, Jerry Lynn and Amazing Red defeated. No, no, it's the week before that. God damn it. <laughs> There's so many shows this month, Liam. It's hard to keep them straight. <laughs> yeah, this is a long episode, guys. NWATNA baby number 40, April 9th. Jerry Lynn and Amazing Red defeated Triple X, Sharkboy, and Jason Cross, and the debuting Chris Sabin and Johnny Storm to become number one contenders for the tag titles, as well as Lynn and Red will face each other to determine the number one contender for the X title. That's a fun match. It was a cool main event. Yeah, it's cool that they put the exhibition guys in the main event for the first time in a long time. And it was like, the, it wasn't the main event exhibition. I guess you know, the Triple X and Lynn and Red were. But they also was like Sharkboy and Cross and Saban and Johnny Storm. 
getting a main event spot. And we've also got like a, a proto Hail Saban. Oh yeah, they, they're just the, the instrumental version, yes. And Chris Saban. Chris Saban, Liam. Chris Saban is here in TNA. Yeah. Are you excited for Chris Saban being here in TNA? Obviously. Thoroughly excited for Chris it's, Saban. It's a different era, you know? There's pre-Saban and there's post-Saban. And like, we're going to be talking obviously a lot about Chris Saban for the next freaking 11 years of TNA before he leaves. So it's, it's the Chris Saban show from now on. He, he does this cool dive. He looks really good. Yeah, he does. We'll talk about one of his dives. His cool dive goes much better here than it goes later in the month. Mm-hmm. This match was originally Lynn and Red against Sharkboy and Cross against Saban and Johnny Storm. Really setting up Red and Lynn to win mm. that one. But then Triple X barged their way into the match, but the stipulation of them being added to the match was that if they lost, whoever beat them would be number one contenders for the tag titles as well. Good story. Yes, which leads us to the following week in which Jerry Lynn and Amazing Red defeated Triple X to become new World Tag Team Champions. This shocked Because there is crossover between the tag team and X Division stuff this month, so we will cover them both at the same time. Yeah, this this blew my you mind. You didn't know that Red and Lynn won the tag titles? No clue. Because, like, it's funny, Don West actually mentions this on commentary. That for the weeks beforehand, and really the months beforehand, for most of 2003, like, Amazing Red's been kind of a non-entity. Like, you had that big match, the big SAT against Triple X match at the very last show of 2002, which felt like a breakout moment for Amazing Red. And then... He just kind of, like, ambles through the uh, the weeks. He has the kind of feud with Kid Cash. I was going to say, he had, like, three X Division titles. Yeah, but shots. he seems like a jerk. He wants to beat up a woman. He's just, like... it's. He doesn't feel the same. He doesn't feel like... The, that red magic is kind of gone. Because he's a Because he's a jerk who wants to beat up a woman. Yes. So, but between the, the multi-man... Big baby face to you, then. But between the multi-man X Division... You started this one. Leave me alone. Stop bullying me. No wonder this show was booked for you. That's why you're such a TNA guy, is because every like babyface just hits a woman. Stop it! Hey, at least you're not a Nazi anymore. The four-way tag goes—it felt feels like a little bit of red magic, but then particularly the linen red against Triple X match feels like the amazing red magic is back. Yeah, and it's just a, little, a banger X division. Tag it's match. four very good wrestlers in a very good tag title match with a surprising finish. Yeah, certainly to me. Uh, Amazing Red and Jerry Lynn are your new world tag team champions, and in typical TNA fashion, they wrestle each other the next week. The X Division Dream uh, Team. My favorite part of that is just how salty Daniels gets at the idea of them being the X Division Dream Team. He's like, that makes no sense. Look how many tag belts we've Yeah, won. it's like, me and twice Skipper, we, we've won the tag belts twice, but they've never competed really in the X Division, though, so... They briefly did at mm, the start. But the, the, neither of them have won the X Division Championship. Can you call them an X Division Dream Team if neither of them have won the X Division Championship? Well, Red had not Well, he, he does now, so he's definitely the Dream Team. Well, Daniels does as well. But no, but, but in this period of time, by the end of the month, Red has won the X title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So, yeah, a great match. Lynn Red wins the tag titles. Next week, they face off for number one contendership. Mm-hmm. In a kind of disappointing match for a Red Lynn. Yeah, it's, it, it goes back to, like, Everything that leads to Red winning the title kind of sucks after this. Because, like, Red and Lynn have an okay match where Ron Killings runs out. He hits Jerry Lynn with a front suplex. Conan was on commentary for the match. We should mention Conan and Jerry Lynn had a, a sit-down interview with Mike today on the very first show of the month. Where they kind of... Oh, that was the first show of the month. I thought it was last month. Where they did reconcile. They're like, Lynn, said, Lynn openly admits that, like, oh, yes, the X Division is an evolution of Lucha Libre. And we pay tribute to that. And Conan's like... Well, I've never heard you say that before, so okay, we're 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 good. 
Even though Mike Tanay said that, like, every yeah, week. Conan has finally listened. So Conan is on commentary. He's still mad for some reason, even though he accepted Jerry Lynn's apology or whatever. As I mentioned, Killings comes out for the first time in a couple of weeks. He beat Elix Sipper early in the month in a match that uh, Mabel showed up in, which we're probably not going to talk much more about. But yes, Viscera showed up, beat up Triple X, disappeared, never seen again. Because I assume they were building to a Skipper and Viscera against Triple X tie title match, but then obviously it never happened. Yeah. But Killings goes to Conan and is like, we need to talk. Killings and Conan leaves while Red beats Lynn after Lynn was laid out by Killings. So Red is not the most credible number one contender in the world because he only beat Lynn because Killings laid him out. Well, don't I have something to tell you? He doesn't become the most credible X Division champion. He sure doesn't. Last show of the month, NWATNA pay per view number 43, April 30th. Amazing Red defeats Kid Cash to become X Division champion after there's a ref bump. And then the masked luchador shows up. Masked luchador suddenly looking much skinnier than the masked luchador has looked in <laughs> in previous weeks. I hate this guy. Well, it's Trinity. So uh, I hate this person in every iteration. So yeah, the, uh, the masked luchador shows up, hits Cash with a reverse DDT. Red goes the pin Cash. Ref is still bumped. Andrew Thomas nowhere to be seen. Andrew Thomas sitting there for a good like 10 to 15 seconds before he finally turns around and just counts the three. It takes all of like the wind out of the sails of Red's X Division title win. And to make matters worse, the mass luchador shows up again to hit Red with a reverse DDT. So Red won number one contendership cheaply. He won the belt cheaply. And then he got laid out after winning the belt. It is the lamest way Amazing Red could possibly win the X Division title. I like how in the notes here it says that um, they thought the uh, Andrew Thomas turning around made Red's title win look we- uh, title win look weak, and it's like no, the interference made his fucking title win. Look yeah, even weak. if Andrew Thomas was on the ball, which it didn't, it certainly didn't help that he wasn't. Like that finish sucks. Like Amazing Red is the ultimate underdog. He's the ultimate guy whose moment winning the belt should be like a moment of triumph. This dude has finally done it. Instead, it's a, just a shitty moment with another run-in interference spot, and nobody cares. You you suddenly took like the best underdog you could possibly have and had him win the belt in the least underdog way imaginable. Yeah, it's a, it's a rough one. So, uh, Cash mentions on the show he has suspended Trinity for her attack on him the previous week. <laughs> and then... Yeah, how's that The uh, mass luchador shows up randomly to cost Kid Cash the match. I didn't know that was Trinity. Did you not even notice it was like a padded suit this time instead of because like obviously it was a man in the suit every other time except now it's Trinity in the suit so it's a padded suit all of a sudden. I try not to pay attention to the suit. <laughs> you're not looking. You're not examining each element of the mass luchador to try and work out who is behind it. No, I hate the mass luchador. <laughs> stupid story. All right, that brings us to the tag team division. We've mentioned most of it already because most of it is the Lin and Red against Triple X stuff. We mentioned that there was the killings and Triple X stuff that went nowhere. Uh, last show of the month, Jerry Lynn defeats Daniels in a match where if Lin wins, they get him and Red get a one member of Triple X two on one. But if Daniels won, they would get Lin and Red three on two. Uh, Lin won, so it's two on one, presumably next week. Sure. Uh, kind of disappointing match between Lin and Daniels. It was perfectly solid, but it was nothing special. You would hope for more. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to get excited for some of these X-Division matches at this point because some of them pay off, but lately they've all kind of been a little disappointing. And it's like, I think a big thing is none of them are getting time anymore. It's all like you have a nice little seven minute match here and you're out. It's not, it's not meant to be a good match. You know, it's just meant to be another story beat. Yeah. I'm hoping that maybe this handicap stick will Mm. be nice. 
So the only other story in the tag team division this month is the continuing progress of the AMW breakup. Yeah, what a mixed bag this it's is. It's a story that doesn't make a lot of sense for most of it. So I don't think there's anything about it on the first show of the month. But the big thing on the second show of the month is Chris Harris is just hanging out in the sex locker room. Yeah, what a dick. He's like, I, I should be able to hang out wherever I want. It's uh, you know because the, the, they do a sit down interview with Mike today on the following show to talk about this moment where Chris Harris is just hanging out with sex, and James Storm does confront him on that show when he goes looking for Mike Sanders when Harris goes looking to bring Mike Sanders back to the sex locker room and he's like what the hell dude we're pals. I love Harris's like cheating girlfriend logic of maybe I was asking them for a title and shot and then Storm immediately shuts it down. It's like if you were asking them for a title shot, why didn't you bring me? So they do the sit-down interview with Mike today where they're trying to hash things out. They're to clear the air. And Harris is just like, you know what? Just that we have to fight them doesn't mean I can't be friends with them. And, you know, I just wrestle for money. And once the wrestling is over, I don't hold any animosity toward these people. And Storm is like, that's nonsense. These people tried to kill us a couple times. You know what? Storm's right. <laughs> you do not agree with Chris Harris's philosophy here. No, these guys suck. And he's hanging out with them in the sex locker room. A lot of bad things go down in the sex <laughs> locker room. Only bad things go down in the sex locker I room. I don't want Chris Harris hanging around with the other Harrises. So they, they don't do much to clear the air there. Following week, they are scheduled to have a match against Triple X, except Chris Harris has been attacked backstage. Oh, golly. So Storm wrestles most of the match against Triple X by himself until Harris comes out. Uh, uh, hobbles out trying to even the odds but eventually Harris gets pinned and then Storm is mad for some reason yeah this one's kind of a dick move by Storm I actually kind of dug this match though I thought this match was telling a pretty good story and I would have gone like pretty high on it if AMW came back Mm. and won and this is the moment where they come back together and they're pals and Harris overcomes the but no for some reason like Harris got beaten up then he still came out tried valiantly to win Failed to win. And then Storm is pissed at him? Like, what's Storm pissed at him for? And it doesn't even make sense within the context of the characters because Storm was backstage and, like, checking on him and concerned for him and charged out with a head of steam to go beat up the guys we thought mm, beat up his friend. It's, it's stupid. It just makes Storm seem very unlikable. Didn't, didn't make a lot of sense on this one. And uh, then AMW lose the tag match in the last month of the show, but there's not much in terms of AMW breaking up development in that Saturn Incredible against Harris Bros against AMW against New Church tag match. Probably because they're like... We're not going to do they that They do anymore. eventually drop the idea and decide, this is the best tag team we have. Why in the name of God are we breaking them up? Yeah. It's a strange story that makes both men seem unlikable, which is, I guess, the goal of all things in DNA. Mm. All right. We've got, like, one more big thing. Oh, wait, do you want to do the Siaki-David Young stuff and then we end hot with the Dusty Sure. Let's stuff? talk about Siaki and David Young. So they're feuding over Athena and Desire most of the month. I was like, God, there's so many shows again. I have to find where everything is. <laughs> Young defeats uh, Siaki and handcuffs Siaki. Is that on the first show of the month? Oh, it is. There you go. So yeah, they have a match. They have a nice little match actually. And then because uh, Desire is handcuffed to the ropes during the match, then after the match they unlock Desire's handcuffs, then handcuff Siaki to the ropes while Young beats the shit out of Desire. And then wait, wait. Fucking swerve. No, oh, no the, the swerve isn't swerve. until the next week, Liam. Doesn't make any this, sense. He just beats up Desire this week. Yeah, he just hits it with a spine buster, and Athena and David Young are very happy that they've gotten one over on Sunny Siaki and Desire. Maybe this is what earned their respect. <laughs> They're like, we see that you're willing to assault <laughs> So we want you in sex. Please yeah. join us. So side. the next week, there's meant to be a mixed tag team match between Siaki and Desire against Young and Athena before 
now can I do it? Sure, if you want to do it. <laughs> Fucking there swear. There you go. Uh, Siaki is like, hey, why don't we let just let the women fight? The women should, should get in the ring together. So Siaki gets out of the ring. Young gets out of the ring. Athena and Desire are about to go at it. When David Young gets back in the ring, pulls Athena into a spine buster, lays her out and joins sex. Kind of rolls out, doesn't it? They, they make a fun little... Because there's a bunch of, like, subgroups within sex. There's, like, Raven and the Gathering. There's, like, Gilberti and Sanders. And now there's, like, the weird subgroup of David Young, Sonny Siaki, and Desire. Yeah, I like them together. And it's basically, like, David Young is, like, his dog. He's, like, his pit bull. He's, like, he's defensive of him, and I appreciate it. Um, as we saw on the last show. Uh, second month? last, where sex walks in late. Yeah, and um, Gilberti runs everyone down because he's the toughest mm-hmm. guy in the group. And um, including he slaps Sonny Siaki in the face where David Young just gets up in Gilberti's face immediately. Yeah, it's like, how dare you touch my friend? Yeah, I like I really, I like this group together. So we have the tag team of Siaki and Young. They lose to D'Lo and AJ in the last show of the month as well. A good little tag team, though. It's good for them, though, because it feels like something new in this in a division that desperately needs It is teams. interesting. Oh, the teams you're going to protect against AJ and D'Lo... Is it going to be Sanders and Gilberti or Siaki and David Young? Personally, for me, it would be Siaki and David Young, but for some reason, they chose Sanders and Gilberti. Yeah. Well, I guess two of them are friends of Vince mm. Russo. And that goes a very long way in this company. And will for the rest of its life. But they are already seeding dissent in the, the Young and Siaki team. No, I like them together. Uh, Desire is bumped off the apron in that AJ and D'Lo match. David Young is too busy tending to desire while Siaki is then pinned. I hope that's just a sign yeah. of good friend. Not that they're going to break up over desire immediately. Just too much desiring mm, going on. She just changed her name and then everything would be fine. <laughs> Platonic. <laughs> should be the name of the stable. <laughs> well, two of them isn't Platonic. Don't worry about it. Yeah, well, we'll see. Alright, which brings us to the highlight of the month, which is, once again, for the second month in, the row, in a row, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. He's the best of all. I, I don't care. I'm going to call an audible and say, after we finish Rinka King, we're doing some dusty thing. I don't know what it is, but we're doing some dusty well, Given Rinka King is only one 40-minute show a week, we can do more. Like we're, We've gone from watching three hours for the watch, uh, for the Patreon to watching 40 minutes, so we have more time. All right, we can maybe work out something for some sort of dusty show. We'll call it the Dusty Finish. Ah, uh-huh. very good. See, this is a wrestling reference. Yes. So all the way back to the first show of the month, Brian Lawler defeats Chris Harris after Lawler and Flair attack after the match. Dusty makes the save, and then we get probably the best promo in TNA history to this point. Garrett, do you want to be part of Dusty Rhodes Posse? Oh, I, I'd love to be part of Dusty Rhodes Posse. You want to, you want to be a Posse? <laughs> you yeah, you guys want to be in my Posse? <laughs> yeah. Then Brian Lawler responds, you couldn't get Posse if you were the last man on Earth. And then Dusty responds, Oh, I've gotten a bunch of posse in my day, boy. <laughs> he just looks at him and says, like, You can't get no posse. <laughs> Everything about this promo was so good. Because like, Ryan Lawler is like, You should have called yourself an old fat man. And then Dusty's like, Oh, oh no, you hurt me. You called me fat. <laughs> uh, and there's a point where like, the segment is clearly going long. And Dusty just turns and looks down the hard camera. It's like, Keith, Keith Mitchell, who's in the, the director in the truck. He's like, Keith, I know I'm going long, but this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And I got to teach him a lesson. <laughs> and um, 
Uh, just a tremendous promo all around. It's like everything about it is so good. And like there's even a moment where he's like cutting a promo about tradition and how like uh, d- d- you didn't earn the belt and you didn't get the belt. And I went down to the sportatorium in, in, in Dallas and I got my ass kicked and I was 19 and I knew then I would have to earn the belt. And I would have to this sweat and blood and tears to become NWA champion. And you just think you can walk around with a title you haven't you don't deserve. And it's like it's just such a good promo. Never mind like the antics stuff they do later. It's like oh. Oh, everything about Dusty is great. Garrett, we gotta watch some, like, NWA Dusty stuff. I'm so into it, we have to. Like, Dusty is the highest paid roster member other than Jeff Jarrett, and he deserves it. He earns every cent. Oh, I I love it. Um, Of course, the big payoff to this promo is uh, he lets... Lola pick any match he wants for the NWA title and he picks a ladder match and then Dusty gets very serious and he's like fuck I have to climb a ladder <laughs> but he's gonna do it because he wants to get that NWA title back that so then the following week uh, April 9th he faces Brian Lawler in a ladder match which look it's Dusty Rhodes in a ladder match it's not a good match no excuse me it's Brian Lawler versus Dusty Rhodes in a ladder match for Ric Flair's NWA yes. title. Five stars. Well, you didn't give it five stars. Why did you give it five stars, Liam? I'm giving it five stars from the heart. Yeah. Not from the head, but from it's, the heart. It's not a good match, but it is. It rules. It's so good. Is this on the same show as the Saturn? Uh, yes, which might actually be the best show in I... Tita history at this point. Okay, so... While you're there to watch like the legitimately good Saturn Barn match, watch this as well because when else are you going to see that? Uh, Dusty breaks out a small step ladder. It's like a three-step ladder. He climbs it <laughs> and he drops off the ladder. And then, like Mike and Don West are baffled as to why he has a step ladder because he obviously can't win with a step ladder. And then Don West is like, "Oh, now I get what he was planning." It's like you tell me, Don. It's like he was dropping an elbow off it, Mike. Yeah, rules, tremendous stuff. And then we get the big payoff to the, the angle from a couple yeah, weeks. Yeah, so David Flair runs out, interferes. Flair and Lawler are about to win until Nikita Koloff shows up. Surprise. And after all the teases, after the like the dissension they had between each other, whether or not Nikita Koloff was a part of sex, Koloff helps Dusty retain the belt. Niko- like Koloff climbs the belt, the ladder. Like Nikita Koloff is the man who climbs the ladder and pulls the belt down. He also struggles to pull the belt down. He can't like unstrap it, so he just literally grabs it with both hands and pulls it off of the harness thing. Yeah. Um, I also got to give credit to my man to get a call off. He had the drip on for this. My man was it's looking fresh. It's your current Twitter profile picture, I noticed. Yeah, yeah. My man, my man was looking fresh here. Had the beanie, had the long sleeve black shirt. Oh, dripped out. So they have a, a moment where Koloff is standing in the ring with a belt and he's like, is he going to give it to Dusty? Is he going to run away with it? Is he going to hit Dusty with it? Then he hands it to Dusty and the, the the superpowers are back together. They've reconciled. And like Don West goes into full like pro-America mode. It's like, in these trying patriotic times, it's so great to see the superpowers back together. See, I didn't hear that part because I literally leapt up and fist bumped. When <laughs> Crowd go nuts. Dusty and Koloff are me going nuts in my are house. Happy back together, but then the uh, then Eric Watts shows up and steals the belt. <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, everything I love is in this." I segment. love. I was like, "This big moment, they got the belt back." And like Watts just strolls up behind them, yoinks it, and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you're describing a lot of Eric Watts segments while laughing like gleefully. <laughs> <sighs> just admit no. you like him. You, just admit that you're I'm into not. Eric Watts. You, oh, look, voice cracking because you are. 
Stop lying to yourself. Life gets a lot better when you admit that you like <laughs> Eric Watts. You are going to regret this defense of Eric Watts. No, I'm not. He will never get bad. So Dusty won, wins the ladder match against Brian Lawler with the help of Nikita Koloff. One of the things that feels like a random thing that would never get paid off. And it got paid off. And it seems like that might be the last we see of Lawler and Flair. I think we do see one more of Lawler. There's a, a gauntlet match in the next show that I think Lawler's in. Then we see the last of Lawler. We have seen the last of Flair, sadly. This is the end of David Flair's TNA run. Which, just at the moment, I was like, you know what? I'm okay with seeing more David Flair. David Flair's gone. Hey, he has to have one company in history where at the end you were like, didn't mind that, David yeah. Flair. Didn't mind that. It's a good end to his career. You know what? You know what? Guess what? I'm gonna. I'm saying it right now. David Flair's TNA run. Yeah, good up. job, Dave. You did it. You became a perfectly competent, <laughs> acceptable, agreeable pro wrestler. Eh, agreeable goon. Well done. All right. Before we go, we'll go through show by show for anything we might have missed. As mentioned, there's a lot of stuff on these shows. Yeah. The only thing uh, with Dusty that I think. I'm not sure when it happened, but there was the moment where um, Jarrett swiveled the hips on accident. Oh yeah, we didn't even out. talk about that. Yeah, there was the segment where Raven and the Gathering were like approaching him, and he was all like tense, and he was holding a chair, and then Dusty approached him from behind. This is on the this was on the episode where he was like mm. manic and all over the place because he had all these guys coming for him, and he, it, it, and that was the same episode where I believe where he choked Goldie. This was like his like breaking. So, yeah, point. He hits Dusty with the chair, and he's like, "Oh no, I hit Dusty with a chair." And then uh, last show of the month, when he wins the belt, Dusty comes out and raises his hand. So, yeah. When he did the, when he swiveled the hips and he hit Dusty, I was like, "Are we getting a Dusty Jeff Jarrett Andrew Ray title match right Which now?" <laughs> I wouldn't object to. No, I'd be so even into Dusty it. at multiple points this month is like, "Oh, would you believe it if this old man won the belt again, huh?" <laughs> And I'm like, yes, please. Um, Conan, in that sit-down interview, we'll, we'll go show by show now, starting with NWTNA favorite number thirty-nine, uh, April second. Conan, sensational shirt in that sit-down interview today, Jerry Lynn. I don't remember. It, it was like. very patterned. It is an indescribable pattern. I'm a, I'm a fan of a patterned shirt, so I will give Conan a big thumbs up, despite not remembering. Uh, nobody said a slur this month, but. <laughs> During the Brian Lawler Dusty promo, somebody in the crowd does start shouting the F word toward Brian Lawler. Mm. A bunch. Like a ton. And like unbleeped. Yeah. Not good. What do you fucking stop, fans? I mean, it's it's fans of 2003 in that. When somebody on the show says the exact same slur the month before, I guess you can't blame them. Well, you can blame them. You can always blame them. When you had, when you had, when you had six months of the company telling him it was the company pandering to that kind of person, and then that kind of person shows up. Shocker. Yeah. Um, Trinity in the match with Desire hit a or Alexis or even hit a six super kick and then a standing shooting star. I was like, oh. We saw a lot of, um, and like Daniels busted out a standing moonsault. So a lot of like stuff you wouldn't expect coming out, but mm. looking good. This is the show where they did just decide to turn Jeff Jarrett heel. Even Disco's promo at the start of the show when he's calling out D'Lo, he's just talking about all the mean stuff Jeff Jarrett did. It's like, oh, he's, he's, he's just a heel now. Well, every time there's a, a Jarrett title match, Sex always tries to get into the baby faces' heads by telling him, like, you know he's gonna, he'll do anything mm. to retain this, right? Do you think it's actually an attempt to babyface Vince Russo? And that Vince is gone, so Jeff Jarrett is being revealed as the bad guy that Russo said he was all along. I think that's a little bit of it, but I also think that's the long-term mm. plan. I think like the Jeff Jarrett character is always going to be like, he'll do anything to retain the title. He'll do anything to win the title. And this is going to be like that proof of that, of like, yeah, 
this is this is a guy who looks incredibly insecure when it comes down to it, but he's not as good as any as everyone else is who held that belt, and he'll do anything to keep it. And he'll he may pretend to be the good guy, but in reality, he's not a good guy. Maybe. I just think that's the ethos of the Jeff Jarrett Maybe character. that's like a behind-the-scenes, deep storytelling thing where it's like he wants the, the, the locker room to believe that maybe Jeff Jarrett presents himself as a good guy, but he's actually the bad guy, and Russo's the good guy. He's presenting Jeff Jarrett's character in a way he wants the locker room to see Jeff Jarrett the person. I just think it's a good story. <laughs> I quite liked, on this show, They you had the Young and Siaki match where they did each other's finishers. They're like in this mid-card match where they yes. like, Young uh, did the Siaki, uh, Siaki did the Bindbuster. And then again in the big main event, Jarrett and D'Lo did the same thing. And guess who did it better? Yeah, Jarrett did the sky high, D'Lo did the stroke. It's like, oh, you guys really didn't talk that one over, did you? I'm more into the, the Siaki-Young match. Mm, it was probably a better match, so yes. Oh, let's talk about fucking Hermes. Ah, yes, NWATNA pay-per-view number 40, April 9th, in which we had more NASCAR stuff, Liam. <sighs> Yay. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Liam, no. boogity, boogity, boogity. No. My favorite thing about that, it's apparently something they do in the NASCAR freaking coverage. Feels Vaguely racist. Yes. Just because it's a NASCAR <laughs> Liam is projecting onto the poor NASCAR fans. But my favorite part of it was like, they did the boogity 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 bit as if it's like a thing the crowd would actually know. It's like, let's get this show started. Boogity boogity boogity. No one in the crowd did it. No one had any idea what they were doing. You know what? I've gained some respect <laughs> for the NASCAR So yeah, fans. Mike Denae. Horrible homophobes, but at least they don't play into the NASCAR Mike Denae introduced Hermie Sadler and Jeff Hammond. Hermie Sadler announced that he will be driving the NWA TNA car in a five-race sponsorship deal starting with the Coca-Cola 600 in Charlotte. Whatever. So, more NASCAR stuff. They did get some coverage. Like, Hermie Sadler was on Fox Sports, totally NASCAR, and announced the deal. Jeff Jarrett was on the pregame show the following week. So, like, they did get some crossover coverage with the NASCAR coverage, which is probably, like, promotion that's they desperately want and need, but... Still, NASCAR. I don't give a shit. This show did open with a montage of uh, Jeff Jarrett being evil, which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> when uh, Glenn Gilberti was beating the heck out of Mike Posey, one of the fans in the crowd shouted, Why didn't you beat up Rudy? He d- he's the one that deserves it. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I didn't even talk about my favorite spot in the Saturn and uh, Barton match, which was like Saturn was bleeding buckets. And then... Like, Barton picks him up in a delayed vertical suplex to allow the blood of Saturn to trickle down Barton's torso. <laughs> it's like, good God. And, like, it was a long time. Yeah, he to... held him there as Saturn was just bleeding out. It's good very shit. good shit. I'm very much on board with it. Got a fireball? Oh, we did get a fireball. I enjoyed that fireball spot as well, where it's just like Sandman and uh, New Jack just cutting their promo, and then James Mitchell appears out of nowhere to throw a fireball in Sandman's face. Hmm. Same man, I just I want to put him over again, like for a moment. He's been a real joy mm. on these shows. I've really enjoyed Sandman's inclusion and New Jack, but uh, Sandman has stood around a bit longer, so I, I can give him the the full benefit of it. Yeah, really enjoyed him here, and I like. And later in the the month, there's a backstage brawl where Sandman shows up with a flaming candlestick. Yeah, he's, he's which apparently best. accidentally set Brian Lee's hair on fire, and Brian Lee was not best pleased about this. <laughs> no, mainly because it's. I don't smelly. think anybody wants their hair set on fire. I've had it happen. It's mm. not fun. Well, we should mention when the Siaki and Desire were coming out for their uh, mixed tag match against Young and Athena, they were joined by Brian Sweeney, who won the, the ability to walk out a member of sex in the NWATNA auction. <laughs> and he picked the right yeah, choice. he's there with Siaki and Desire, the coolest people in the company. Yeah, that would be me. That's who I'd pick. 
Anything else from uh, April 9th? Nah. Um, we, we got the dusty thing in. That was the main thing I wanted to talk about for this <laughs> For this, yeah, this entire freaking month. <laughs> it's dusty. Well, yes. It's a shame that the dusty stuff got lost in the third hour. Mm. But listen, the, it's for our, our hardcore listeners. The, listen all the way through the episode and mm. hear about the cool dusty road stuff this month. I feel bad about having to do my muted Dusty Roads impressions because it's almost 1am. <laughs> uh, end of the 18th, baby number 41, April 16th. D'Lo in the match against Raven, which opened the show, which we didn't even talk about, but D'Lo and Raven had a match. It was fine. Because it kind of But D'Lo did do an Undertaker dive. He wiped <laughs> out all of the uh, the gathering with a huge Undertaker dive and it ruled. Let's talk about AJ almost Oh dying. yeah, in the match against freaking Gilberti, AJ needed eight stitches to close a cut in his head, which was open when he bumped his head in a door. Which it seemed was the sex door. He hit his head in the sex door and needed stitches because he bled so much. That's the first time Stars ever hit his head on a sex door. <laughs> uh, actually, Jared later in the month once again tries to kick down the sex door and fails. No, he, he, he turned off. By, yeah, he uh, turned around and just like they just came out. <laughs> they just exited the sex door. To be fair, I think he did knock off the. the he lock. still didn't get in, Liam. This is the second time he's tried and failed. No, because he, he gave up. One more kick, he would have gone through. Ah, Jeff, Mike Sanders. He had a real cool spinning slam in that match against Kid Cash. Mike Sanders does yeah, come true. it's a shame they ruined him. They've ruined Mike Sanders, just like they ruined D'Lo Brown. Just like they've ruined Ron Killings. They did during, I think it was the Awesome and Saturn match. Like, they actively tried to make TNA Extreme a thing. It's like, oh, this is TNA Extreme. They just call it TNA extra championship wrestling. <laughs> like Mike today on commentary is like we innovated wrestling with the X Division now you're seeing the new innovation of violence in the X Division with <laughs> TNA Extreme yes Michael Wasserman Perry said the X no this is the extreme part oh doesn't Sen just wear an ECW shirt on one of I these shows I didn't notice it but I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> yeah when they all came out together I'm pretty sure he just wears an ECW shirt very very reminiscent of Scott Steiner wearing a TNA shirt at Rinka King <laughs> Well, to be fair, Rinka King is a TNA uh, adventurer, so that makes some degree of sense. <laughs> but they don't even mention it. Like, there's no DNA branding on the show. <laughs> he just comes out of DNA shirt. All right, end of your TNA, paper number 42, April 23rd. I think my only note from this is during the Ultimate Sin match, Andrew Thomas, the referee, is just like standing there as there's like total chaos around him. And he just kind of does a shrugging motion. <laughs> it's like, what mm. am I meant to do? Yeah, there's some good stuff with that. Yeah, I got nothing. Uh, we get the the beginnings of Conan and Killings here, though. Oh yeah, we didn't even mention that. It was actually the yeah they they we did mention that Killings and Conan uh, had that little uh, segment at the end of the Jerry Lynn Amazing Red match. But then last show of the month, they had a sit down interview with Mike where they both gave out about how wrestling is bad and it was racist toward them. And they both wore tremendous yes. fits. Really fashion forward show. At the end, yeah, of especially your Conan. Conan's a very fashionable dude. Especially Killings. Killings had a great look here. Yeah, wearing his like. Suede tracksuit. It's good stuff. Mm. And then last show of the month, NWITNA baby number thir- er, 43, April 30th, which is the one we did the watch along for. So if you would like to listen to our full detailed comprehensive thoughts about NWITNA baby number 43, you can go to tnachat.com and listen to our watch along of it. Uh, it's a good fun time. You can listen to our visceral reaction when Chris Saban attempted to do a dive and missed the top rope. Yeah, you can see me. <laughs> yeah, fuck, that was rough. And they replayed it like <laughs> yeah. seven times. Other highlights include my consistent squealing in the AJ D'Lo Young Siaki mm-hmm. match. Uh, we didn't talk about the lollipop. Oh, yes, roll. we did. So, lollipop on that show is doing her dance. She's doing a dance in the cage. And then suddenly somebody tries to attack her and tries to drag her out of the cage. And it's Tracy Brooks. 
And I think I went, is that Tracy yeah. Brooks? So Tracy Brooks making her TNA debut. Then later in the show, she tries it again. And Lollipop is like, yo, if you want to take the cage from me, you can try. And then they do a little cat fight in the ring. Um, and I believe she called her a $2 mm. whore. To which Tracy could respond, no, it's 50 God damn it. I think that's it. I think we're done. Yeah, um, nothing else really comes to mind. Because um, I guess um, if you, when, you, when you go to watch the Jarrett and Raven match that we recommended, make sure you catch that last video package. You can skip the first one because you see it on every other show. But the second one where it, it starts with the Jarrett recap, that one really rules. That you is Jeremy Borash's magnum opus. Great stuff. Uh, so that is NWA TNA for the month of April 2003. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with May 2003. We'll be starting on Patreon next week with Rinka King. So you can subscribe at TNAchat.com. We'll have... And I gotta say, I am very excited. Yeah, Liam has watched the first episode of Rinka King and he is smitten. I'll just give you a little clue here. This might be the best pro wrestling stage Ooh. I've ever seen. It's fantastic. And it's like the entire dimensions of the building. <laughs> So if you would like to hear us talk more about Rinka King, TNHat.com starting next weekend. You can follow us on Twitter at TNHistoryPod. You can follow me on Twitter at Garakid. You can follow Liam on Twitter at TheGleetMuta. As mentioned, if you would like to support the show, head to TNHat.com. We can get our watch-alongs, our star ratings, our show notes, our, our Rinka King coverage. The entire Monday War Game series is up now. So you have all that at TNHat.com. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Um, damn it, I should have thought of a thing. Um... Should we start incorporating the posse gimmick into our boogity, stuff now? Boogity, boogity, boogity. <laughs> no.